0: This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3242 for Tuesday the 5th of January 2021. Today's show is entitled, The Eternal Battle Over How to Run Your Chromebook is About to Begin. It is hosted by Zenfloater 2, and is about 148 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, Squirrel vs Alien Chromebook Discussions. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org.
1: Okay, this is going to be uh, another public access Squirrel Addresses Alien from Another Planet video. And as you can see, I have a desk running here and it is recording along with uh, my normal screen recorder. So this will be a joint video and joint um audio podcast and um down here we have um my um oh I need to get that to download again. I got uh, G Potter running and um, I don't know it always fails downloading the brothers Wisp but as you can see, I've got Freedom Decrypted uh, downloaded, and I've also got the latest GNU World Order, GNU World Order 383, uh, on my uh, G Potter podcasting thing, which is what I usually use to to get my podcasts. And um, we're talking to you off of a brand new Google Pixelbook Go. It's a Chromebook. It's the i7. It's the big one. And I've decided to invest a few years' time in um, the Chromebook architecture, and I have the Linux beta running. And I'm using uh, Audacity from the Linux beta repos, the Debian repos, and recording this podcast to you from a Chromebook. And uh, the reason of which will become clear here in just a minute. Anyway, let me go ahead and minimize uh, G-Potter and let it finish. And uh, normally, you know, when I play a podcast, I would just click on, uh, for instance, if I'm going to play GNU World Order, I would just click on that and hit play. But we're going to do things a different way uh, this time. We're going to use uh, Google's assistant to play a podcast. And I'm going to comment on it as we go through it. Okay, Google. Play... G-N-U World Order Podcast.
0: Got it. Playing the latest episode of New World, World Order Linux, Linux Cast. New World Order, New World Order underscore 383 on Google Chrome Podcasts.
2: Books. No, we're not. We're going to talk about Chromium Books. So in this episode, I wanted to kind of finally review... Uh,
1: in a... Pause. Now, I can pause... Um, This podcast, but I wanted to make note that if you noticed on the screen, if you're watching the video version of this, that it said uh, that we were playing the GNU World Order 383 from Google Podcasts, which somewhat implies, and I've been playing various podcasts all morning long, it implies that I guess Google is making a recording of the GNU World Order podcast as well as, or a copy of it anyway and putting it on their servers, as well as a number of other podcasts, <clears throat> which I think is, is cool, I guess. But it doesn't do anything, uh, if that's the case, for the statistics of the GNU World Order. Anyway, this GNU World Order 383 episode happens to be about Chromebooks, and um, apparently Klaatu, the alien in question, has purchased a used Chromebook. And I've been working with Chromebooks. It's amazing, but you know, every time I get into something like Chromebooks, which I did roughly a year ago, I'm finding out that Clatu is also getting into them. And I, I don't know if it's a mind connection or what. Often we feel that ESP is to blame, but uh, the reality of it is, is that we, the humans, uh, they all live in oceans of, of herd mentality. And so across the school systems, you find that um, they're using Chromebooks in school systems, and it's apparently they're using Chromebooks in the school systems of New Zealand, which is where Clatoo lives now. And um, so he's become interested in them because I gather he he must work with kids teaching them Linux, and maybe in a college setting or something. All right, we're going to continue playing this now. I can pause. And uh, uh, resume podcast. Resume. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Hmm. It does not appear to me that it's working. Let's just try playing it again from the beginning. Okay, Google. Play GNU World Order Podcast.
0: You're Got listening it. To Playing the latest episode of New, of New World, World Order, order Linux order. Cast, My name is New World, World Order underscore and 383 we're going to talk about on Chrome Google Podcasts. Books.
2: No, we're not. We're going to talk about Chromium Books. So in this episode, I wanted to kind of finally review, uh, in a way, the recent experience that I've had with Chromebooks. And in order to do that, I guess I'll back up a little bit and talk about how I have very intentionally and quite happily for a long time, ignored Chromebooks. Uh, Chromebooks came out, well, before I left the US, which was seven years ago now, and it came out well before that, so I'm gonna say arbitrarily 10 years. I could look that up, but let's just call it 10 years for convenience sake. 10 years ago, Chromebooks came out, and I think it's fair to say at this point that they have made a rather hefty impression. At least here in New Zealand, they are the default computer at most schools, uh, at most, uh, what, do, what do you call them, primary and secondary schools, I guess? Like, not university, but, but for all the other schools, the lower schools. And I think that's kind of a, 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 a general, I think that's a pretty common phenomenon. And that's interesting to know, because that means that there are a lot of computer users out there with Chromebooks, Let's just put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that point in a a moment. So Chromebooks, when they first came out, I kind of ignored because as far as I knew, and I I don't know this for sure because I didn't, because I have, I'm late to the game. I've waited like 10 years to even start investigating. So my history of the subject is, is very much lacking, but we could say that at the time, at least when they came out, I was in uninterested in them because as far as I knew their reputation was, it was a hardware browser. Like, it was it was an internet browser, and that was what it was. And as far as I know back then, that that was the case. And as far as I can tell now, it seems to be by default that case. And once again, we'll come back to these concepts and, and sort of re- revisit a lot of these in a little bit. But that, that's the reason that I ignored Chrome Chrome. Chrome books for a very, very long time. Well, recently, I kind of realized that there are a lot of people out there, as I've said, with Chromebooks. It's, it's a computer that you are very likely to run into. And, and I'm saying that as someone who was not looking to run into Chromebooks, and yet I still ran into them whether it was at computer stores and, you know, there'd be the obligatory shelf of Chromebooks because it would be the back to school season. And so there were Chromebooks for sale. So people could pick up a Chromebook for school, that sort of thing. Or whether it was because someone at a, at a a social event showed up with a Chromebook or someone's kid has a Chromebook and they need to know, how to do something on the Chromebook or whatever. You you just you start to especially as a geek, you start to run into them. They're they're kind of unavoidable. And when that happens, then you know that it's reached a certain certain capacity. And so my my life as a geek was starting to very, very on the peripheral, but I mean it was it was I was starting to notice Chromebooks. It was starting to be affected by the presence of Chromebooks. And so finally I kind of sat down and did a little bit of soul searching and thought, okay, well I have no interest in buying a new computer I don't need one. I'm, I'm, I'm. I work from home now, and I have all the computing devices that I really technically need. I mean, I don't know if if one can ever have too many, but you know, realistically, had enough. Uh, and and I don't like to purchase new hardware if I don't have to, because I feel like this world has produced enough hardware at this point that without any new purchases, we could all probably. Get another computer if we wanted one. So I didn't want to purchase a new computer, but I, I was very aware of the fact that my that there's a gap in my knowledge around computing. I mean, there's a huge gap in that I don't really know Windows at all. But that's that's its own thing, and I feel relatively okay with that personally because I my interest is in POSIX systems, and until Windows becomes a, a true POSIX system, I, I really don't. Honestly, have interest in it. And I realize that that's 80% of the population or 75 or whatever it is uh, of the computer using population is probably on Windows. And so it, it, it does me very little good as a sort of as a, as an as a walking, talking advertisement of maybe an alternative to know nothing about the platform upon which people are, are probably computing. I, I realize that this is a, a, a big gap and we could talk all day about whether it would be more advantageous to learn sort of the OS of the, of the opposition such that I could then better argue for the alternative or something like that. I get that. I'm aware of it. We don't need to, to bring that up right now. It's a thing. Chromebooks. On the other hand, I felt, well, from what I understand, it's based on Linux and that's probably a big deal. That's probably something that I should be more educated about. So I started looking months ago now for a used Chromebook on the internet. Uh, long story short, could not find one that wasn't like over a hundred dollars and with the text, not sure if it works. That, that kind of stuff. It was really weird. Like the, the local resale market on computers is really, really strange or at least, especially for Chromebooks. It just seems like they don't go for very cheap, and then even when they do go for cheap, which is not under a hundred dollars, so cheap is a relative term, obviously. Uh, even when they're going for like a hundred bucks, there's there was often something about how the thing was not actually working, or the battery was completely gone, or, or whatever. So, didn't really comfortable. It didn't feel comfortable buying a a truly sort of used. I didn't I didn't feel comfortable digging one out of the rubbish bin essentially because. It was going to be expensive, and it was going to. I was. I felt like I was going to end up with a computer that may or may not even work, and I didn't want to invest that much effort into this. I didn't want to get a, a doorstop and try to resurrect it. Not not interested in learning it on those conditions. So I I eventually found a deal at one of the local hardware stores, the computer stores, where they had a refurbished uh, Chromebook. So it had been. It had belonged to someone at some point, and it had gone back to the store not the factory just the store for um you know as a returned item or whatever and so they brushed it off and and freshened it up and made it look like new again and we're selling it at a, at a reasonable discount so and i'm saying all of this because i just one of the things that i want to talk about here is the the price the the value the bang for your buck so i was able to purchase this lenovo chromebook i think it's the cr340-11 which if you go to lenovo.com or whatever and look that model up you will see that it is no longer available and that is again it was refurbished so it doesn't it's not a current model but it's it's current enough and uh i purchased the thing for about let's say 450 new zealand dollars which is pricey i mean again cheap and expensive relative terms and i realize that and frankly 450 bucks
1: pause okay, I can pause Klatu's recording, hopefully I'll be able to resume it this time but I will interject this squirrel's experience, it was August of 2019 and I happened to be driving into Muskogee, Oklahoma for some reason, I was going to uh, tour some of the antique shops along the the junk malls downtown and just look at uh, old pots and stuff like that And I, it got close to lunch, I think it was around 11 a.m., 11.30, and decided, well, I'm going to go eat. And I went into a Hardee's, I think it was, and uh, got a hamburger, because I'm not a vegan, and uh, french fries and some diet drink, which would really help me. You know, diet drink, you always have to have a diet drink when you get like a double, you know. Uh at any anyway, rate, I noticed that right across the way from this was an office depot, and uh, it had been some time since I was in an office depot. So I thought I'd go in there and take a look at what kind of computers they offered because, you know, I'm always the kind of person that just picks up laptops. You know, I, I buy more stinking computers than probably anybody else on the planet. And I went in there, and I didn't see too many decent laptops or even desktops. It was all pretty garbagey, which is unusual because usually Office Depot does have a pretty premium collection of laptops. In fact, I remember seeing an X1 in one of their stores, what, a year or so ago? I didn't buy it, but I just looked at it. And I noticed uh, a section on Chromebooks, and uh, they had a sale on them, and um there are several different manufacturers of Chromebooks, as you know. Lenovo, Dell, um, Acer, and uh, of course Google makes one. And I don't know who else. There's probably another half dozen that I haven't mentioned. And uh, on the display case, there was this big Acer with a huge screen. And I thought, well, is that a laptop? And I'm No, it's a Chromebook. And it had huge speakers, and I played with it, and it sounded great. And so I bought it, and the thing was like, I don't know, it was $180, brand new. $180, and it had 4 gigs of RAM in it. And um, it had a very small storage device card of some kind. I think it was like 64 gigabytes or something inside. Uh, I don't remember. Anyway, it's sitting in the room next to me here, uh, unplugged, because uh, after using that thing for an entire year and watching Chrome OS evolve to a point where now we can actually record podcasts using Audacity in a Chromebook, I decided just a week ago that I'm buying a Google Pixelbook Go, the i7, the big version, because it has a full 16 gigabytes of RAM, and in the Linux beta, I can run um, the...
0: Uh, Here's the top Amazon result.
1: Uh, I just pushed a button. Sorry about that. <laughs> I can run figuita in the Linux beta using QMU and create a really tightly encrypted volume that I can transfer over to an OpenBSD server and, and run it on other laptops. So um, I noticed that and I thought, that's, that's pretty cool because, you know, if I need to do anything ultra private, I could do it in that, I suppose. Anyway, let's see if I can resume Klaatu's podcast here. Resume. And I was afraid of that. It's not working, is it? Google's OS is still a little buggy when it comes to, um, okay, Google, resume.
0: Nothing's playing right now.
1: Oh, that's great. So you lost my GNU World Order podcast. Well, anyway, I just thought I would uh, mention that you can play the GNU World Order podcast from the Google Assistant, but if you've got this many things running on your Chromebook it may not work correctly so what we'll do is we'll cheat and we'll run the downloaded version of the GNU World Order and we'll play it in Audacity here
2: You're listening to episode 383 of the GNU World Order, my name name's Clatu, and in this episode we're going to talk about Chromebooks, no we're not we're going to talk about Chromium books so in this episode
1: And that is correct. He is actually going to talk about Chromium Books. So I'm going to skip forward a little bit here and see if we can get to the point where he was talking about something else as he's moving along. To become
2: like a little tablet, although your tablet now, I guess, has a keyboard in the back, which is kind of weird. But, you know, whatever. So it's, it's a flip top or Chromebooks, And yet I still ran into them. Whether it was at computer stores, and, you know, there'd be the obligatory shelf of Chromebooks because it would be the back-to-school season, and so there were Chromebooks for sale so people could pick up a Chromebook for school, that sort of thing. Or whether it was because someone at a at, at a, a social event showed up with a Chromebook. Or someone's kid has a Chromebook and they need to know how to do something on the Chromebook or whatever. You, you just, you start to, especially as a geek, you start to run into them. They're, they're kind of unavoidable. And when that happens, then you know that it's reached a certain, certain capacity. And so my, my life as a geek was starting to very, very on the peripheral. But I mean, it was, it was, I was starting to,
1: you know, and I'm sorry for doing this to you, but. Most of my podcasts are low budget, as in, um, you know, there's like morons doing them, but not low budget in money. I've spent quite a bit of money on this stuff, but let's just just keep going.
2: The notice Chromebooks. It was starting to be affected by the presence of Chromebooks. And so finally, I kind of sat down and did a little bit of soul searching and thought, okay, well, I have no interest in buying a new computer. I don't need one. I'm 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 I work from home now and I have all the computing devices that I really technically need. I mean, I don't know if if one can ever have too many, but you know, realistically, had enough. Uh and and I don't like to purchase new hardware if I don't have to because I feel like this world has produced enough hardware at this point that without any new purchases, we could all probably get another computer if we wanted one. So I didn't want to purchase a new computer, but I, I was very aware of the fact that my th- there's a gap in my knowledge around computing. I mean, there's a huge gap in that I don't really know Windows at all, but that's that's its own thing, and I feel relatively okay with that personally because I my interest is in POSIX systems, and until Windows becomes a, a true POSIX system, I, I really don't honestly have interest in it. And I realize that that's... Eighty percent of the population, or seventy-five, or whatever it is, uh, of the computer-using population is probably on Windows, and so it, it, it does me very little good as a sort of as a as an as a walking, talking advertisement of maybe an alternative to know nothing about the platform upon which people are are probably computing. I, I realize that this is a, a a big gap, and we could talk all day about. Whether it would be more advantageous to learn sort of the OS of the, of the opposition such that I could then better argue for the alternative or something like that. I get that. I'm aware of it. We don't need to, to bring that up right now. It's a thing. Chromebooks, on the other hand, I felt, well, from what I understand, it's based on Linux, and it's probably a big deal. That's probably something that I should be more educated about. So I started looking months ago now for a used Chromebook on the Internet, uh, long story short, could not find one that wasn 't like over a hundred dollars, and with the text not sure if it works that that kind of stuff It was really weird like the the local resell market on computers is really, really strange or at least, especially for Chromebooks. It just seems like they don't go for very cheap. And then even when they do go for cheap, which is not under $100. So cheap is a relative term, obviously. Uh, even when they're going for like a hundred bucks, there's, there was often something about how the thing was not actually working or the battery was completely gone or, or whatever. So didn't really comfortable. It didn't feel comfortable buying a, a truly sort of used. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable digging one out of the rubbish bin essentially.
1: And, you know, I wanted to add something to this conversation, I guess, having studied the Chromebook a little bit longer, just a couple months longer than Klaatu, I guess, in that I've discovered that basically all Chromebooks have is, uh, all of them, have a a six-month, I'm sorry, a six-year timer on them. In other words, uh, Chromium OS will support a particular platform, a particular Chromebook that's been sold for six years, and then when they they, they just discontinue support for it. So eventually, at some point in time, I'd have to switch over to this Chromium OS that he's going to be talking about soon. But in the meantime, I'm just going to use the built-in OS that's shipped with the unit. But yeah, you have a six-year limit um, before... Um, Uh, they will discontinue support for it, in which case, in theory, your unit is dead, you know. And I paid, what was it, $1,300, I guess, for this expensive unit. And it's much smaller and lighter than the Acer Chromebook that I have in the other room. Smaller screen, but it does have the the 4K, whatever you want to call it, ultra high-definition, and the display is fantastic. I mean, it's it's better than any other laptop I have. And um, as you might be able to, to kind of detect from the video I'm making, uh, it's just unreal. It really is. So let's continue on with Clato's. I'm going to be commenting on Klaatu's podcast because I feel that I need to throw in things.
2: Because it was going to be expensive and it was going to, I was, I felt like I was going to end up with a computer that may or may not even work. And I didn't want to invest that much effort into this. I didn't want to get a a doorstop and try to resurrect it. Not, not interested in learning it on those conditions. So I, I eventually found a deal at one of the local hardware stores, the computer stores, where they had a refurbished uh, Chromebook. So it had been, it had belonged to someone at some point and it had, Gone back to the store, not the factory, just the store for um, you know as a returned item or whatever. And so they brushed it off and, and freshened it up and made it look like new again. And we're selling it at a, at a reasonable discount. So and I'm saying all of this because I just one of the things that I want to talk about here is the the price, the the value, the bang for your buck. So I was able to purchase this Lenovo. Chromebook. I think it's the CR340-11, which if you go to lenovo.com or whatever and look that model up, you will see that it is no longer available. And that is, again, it was refurbished, so it doesn't, it's not a current model, but it's it's current enough. And uh, I purchased the thing for about, let's say, 450 New Zealand dollars, which is pricey. I mean, again, cheap, and expensive relative terms, and I realize that. And frankly, 450 bucks seven years ago to me would have been prohibitive, and and that would that would have been expensive today. It's it hurts. It's it's a chunk of change, but I was able to sort of I was able to justify the the purchase and. To make the purchase, I mean, more than just justifying it, I, I had that money lying around for, um, sort of personal development and learning new things. And so I, I was able to do that with a relatively clear conscience. Now, 450 bucks, again, it depends on where you sort of sit, how you were, you know, where, where you were raised, what your experience was as a, as a young person with money. Mine was okay as a kid. And then as a young adult, I sort of dipped pretty far down into sort of the poverty zone, um, and have been working pretty, pretty steadily, you know, within the past, well, very steadily within the past, uh, probably 10, 10 years or so. So, so yeah, the, the money was there. It did hurt though, 450 bucks. And then I started looking at other computer options. Like if I hadn't gone for a Chromebook, you know, and, and, and I believe me as I was doing this, as I was shopping, I was thinking maybe, maybe I should just stop not get a chromebook and just get another a laptop and look into the options for installing chrome os or whatever onto that laptop because i understood at the time that that might be possible and i'll talk about more about that in a moment so i thought maybe that's what i'll i'll try uh and so i was looking at other laptops and i, I was quickly realizing that no 450 dollars new zealand dollars uh is is quite quite reasonable for a laptop um And and certainly certain brands of computers are literally a thousand dollars more than what I four hundred fifty plus a thousand just for the starting for the bottom line. So I thought, okay, this is actually a really reasonably priced laptop. Like really, it is. It is not free, and and free is better. Zero dollars is definitely better than four hundred fifty dollars. And as I've said before, if you are a geek and you need a laptop and you have zero money, then you can sometimes make a really really sweet score by finding somebody who needs help transferring their data from their old computer to their new computer or they need help you know, erasing the data off of their old computer or they have a computer that, they, that, that has broken and they need you to just grab the data off of it or, or whatever. Very frequently, you can find people who need geek help And are willing to essentially pay for your services with free hardware. And that is how I got a lot of my hardware very early on. So that's zero dollars. This is four hundred and fifty dollars. Take that, take that for what it's worth. You know, that take it take that value for whatever it's worth. What I'm going to say about $450 for this particular piece of hardware is that it kind of blew my mind. Uh, $450 for this little laptop that I ha- now have uh, is pretty amazing. Like the form factor I would <coughs> I would liken to a MacBook Air perhaps. Like that's that's what comes immediately to mind w-
1: without having And you know that's the thing that comes to my mind even though I have never owned any apple products at all i've had my hands on a macintosh uh like 20 years ago or something 20 25 years ago <clears throat> you know in the late 80s <laughs> but i never got interested in uh, in any of apple's infrastructure cuz in, when i was you know a teenager before vietnam i worked for a geophysical company in tulsa and I key punched operated Fortran programs on cards. And these cards would be read through a key-punch reader, which would be transferred to an um, electronic tape after they had been turned into assembler. And then that tape would be taken into the main machine room and processed against data so that we could make three-dimensional maps of oil fields. You know, we could see 18 miles into the ground What a a a actual pool of oil and other water resources look like in 3D. That was in the 1960s, America, and it's much better today. But anyway, if I were to talk about any of that, I would have been put in jail for like 40 years or something, you know. uh, And I also learned how to uh, write software for three-dimensional plotters um, or or plotter. plotter machines back then because how we did it was we plotted the maps one layer at a time in different ink colors on these plotter tables and there were huge sheets of paper then we would hang them from racks on the ceiling and you could just walk past the papers uh, and you could get an idea of what we're talking about, what's underneath the ground by the images that you see drawn on the paper you know, the the papers would be spread a couple feet apart, hanging from the ceiling. So you could literally walk an investor down that row, and they could see as you got deeper and deeper what the pool looked like and where you needed to drill your hole. Anyway, I get too far into my own history. I, I do, you know. When I was 14, I started working on geophysical crews. And that was years before OSHA was invented um, in 1979. And, uh, you know, I actually handled dynamite when I was like 15, you know, explosives and stuff so that they could shake the earth and record the sounds coming back in the geophones. And I also knew how to repair geophones being a hammer raider operator. I, I mentioned that before, you know, from the 60s. So I would repair geophone lines and work on the equipment and stuff like that. So I was a very geeky kid. In the 1960s, in the, the moonshot decade, let's go forward here. Clatu, of course, his background is in Macintosh, and he um, he grew up in the 90s uh, using Macintoshes because I guess that's what his parents bought. You know, that's what they started in. That's how he started his computing environment, and he's comparing this to. Uh, this this Chromebook experience to a Macintosh, and you know, this Pixelbook is so light, it's only a couple pounds, and it's got such a fantastic screen, and it's so frigging mind-blowingly fast. It just blows your mind, but it does upset me a little bit when um, Google Assistant won't resume my GNU World Order 383 podcast so that I don't have to start up audacious and redo everything and look like you know, a squirrel moron. Anyway, let's go on with this.
2: I have done any kind of side-by-side comparison because I don't have access to a MacBook Air. So that that's where I would place its form factor. And in many ways, it is better than that because the screen flips over over to become like a little tablet. Although your tablet now, I guess, has a keyboard in the back, which is kind of weird. But, you know, whatever. It's, it's, so it's, it's a flip top or whatever. Uh, it's got a touch screen, which I've actually not really used much at all. I'm just not used to touching sort of a screen. That's weird to me. Um, It's got one of those weird sort of chiclet keyboards or whatever they're calling them these days. Uh, but it's got two USB ports and an S- micro SD card slot, and it looks like a USB C, and then the power port, which I don't know if that's, is that double as a USB C. I'm not really sure. Uh, oh, and a audio jack, a single audio jack. So yeah, I mean that it 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 definitely for 450 dollars. I upon seeing it and experiencing it, I felt like I was getting more computer than I had paid for. Especially since I have paid for—I mean, I I paid for or I I purchased a bulk of a couple of laptops uh, for a for a school for an organization once, and they were three hundred dollars laptops. I think it was three hundred dollars, and they were nowhere near this nice. And and that was a couple of years ago. So I felt like I don't know. I felt like the value has gone up for that amount of money um yeah so pretty pretty happy with the hardware from 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 the start from, from the moment I opened it and, and sort of felt it I, I felt like 450 well spent possibly now I still had the, the operating system to tackle right and 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 that's that's something that's that's a big deal that's that's the main thing you could argue. I mean, if I'd hated the hardware, at least I could just sit it up on a shelf somewhere and SSH into it or something. But I mean, this is this is it. This is the OS. This is the this is the thing that you interface with. So uh, let's take this in two stages. The before the coffee break stage will be the default Chrome OS experience, and after the break will be the non-default Chrome OS experience. That's the one that we actually care about. But we may as well, again, because part of this exercise for me at least was to to know and understand and experience what other people out there, like lots of other people out there, are experiencing as a computing platform. I don't think this will take long because there's not a whole lot to it to be fair. I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to be relatively objective here, um, and and don't mistake my objectivity for acquiescence or for even praise necessarily. It is true objectivity. So I'll turn the computer on, and it boots up to you know the Chrome OS thing, and the initial couple of screens have you sign in to your account. Now, if you don't have an account, you can create a Google account. So this was like my I don't know 18th sort of throwaway Google account that I've, I've created. And that is the, that's the thing that you log into. You, you log in to your computer by logging into your Gmail account, which feels very strange and very unsettling. However, you, it, it works. Like it, it has local awareness of your identity. You can log into your computer without a network (coughs) connection. It's fine. It doesn't It's not like, oh, if you don't have access to the Internet, you no longer have access to your computer. Now, once you're in the computer, what do you have access to? That gets a little bit trickier, because certainly if you have things that are saved on your, in, in your Google Drive, then you, you have local access to sort of the cached version of that and you could work on that. And I guess your mind kind of goes immediately, if, if you're like me at least, to, to the, the edge cases and you think, well, what about the time when I've got my Chromebook and I've been working on my document and I don't have internet and then I, I don't have my Chromebook and I do have internet? And I pull up that document and now my changes aren't there. Or what happens if I work on something online at uh, work or at school and that's in my Google Drive and then I I go onto my Chromebook and I don't have internet, so now I don't have access to the the newest edition of my work or version of my work.
1: And, you know, he's brought up an interesting subject. I've barely even used Google's Drive, but, you know, when you buy a new Chromebook, and I've done it twice now in the last couple of years... You get the 16 gigabytes of storage they give you for free, you know, and you can buy more. But as you know, I'm a big OpenBSD user, and and the video side. If you're watching the video version of this, I'll just open a terminal, and I'll type in my magic macro name of server, and that takes me right to my OpenBSD server. Kabang, see, and there we are in tmux, and I store all my stuff on my multi gigabyte OpenBSD server. So, um, I haven't yet decided to use Google Drive for anything other than the apps that I buy, and I I did buy a one year lease to use this video recorder that I'm making the video with, because Linux does not, the Linux beta doesn't support video recording uh, from inside the Linux container. However, you can uh, set a switch inside the Linux beta, which I'll show you here in a minute as soon as he starts complaining about it, um, uh, on how you can record audio from inside the Linux container.
2: So it's this sort of fear of being out of sync. And I imagine that could be a problem, realistically. Like, that could that could happen. And it takes exactly one time, I would imagine, for that to happen, for you to lose confidence in that model but I also feel like you would develop a certain sensibility around your internet feasibility. You, you would kind of know, I think, if you had a Chromebook, I think you would have to develop a sense for, okay, well, where am I, where am I going and what's the reasonable expectation about whether I'll have internet or not? And, and also I think the idea would be that you would have your Chromebook and therefore you wouldn't be working on another device like that wouldn't be part of your workflow you would you would be working on your
1: chromebook so of course the other thing you could do is you could get a t-mobile phone which has a built-in wi-fi you know which i have it's a nexus 9 that's like i don't know four years old now and i'm still keeping it because it costs me 900 dollars, and they charge me 60 bucks a month for this service and it's unlimited internet and i just turn the wi-fi on the phone and then I just logged my Chromebook right into that. No problem. And uh, that way you you always have internet anywhere you go in the United States. Of course, with too, you see he's living in New Zealand. And he might be able to do something like that in New Zealand. But when he comes back to the United States to attend a Red Hat conference or something, um, he might find that he has to find a... A, a landline, ground-based Wi-Fi source somewhere to use his Chromebook if you were to do that. Of course, if you took a Chromebook into a Reddit conference, they'd probably take a nail gun out and nail him to a, a, a prefabricated cross of some kind and stand him upright outside the yard, I guess. I, I don't know.
2: Whether you had internet or not, you would have the latest version of your work because... That's always on your Chromebook. And if you've never used one, then you'll, you, you would, you would be maybe a little bit fooled by how the applications appear to be self-standing applications. And, and they do a really interesting job of turning the web browser inside out. But if you could imagine, if you've never used a Chromebook, if you imagine a computer full of Electron applications, Electron being that framework where you can build cross-platform applications, because it's built on, I think, WebKit or something like that, uh, and and it's essentially a JavaScript HTML CSS application that runs locally on, on your computer. You can see that in action with, for instance, Signal. Signal and, uh, what's, what's, what's the other one that I know of? I don't remember it. Um, but yeah, there, there's a couple out. Oh, Atom. A-T-O-M. I'm pretty sure. I think that's an Electron application. I could be wrong. Anyway, it, it's, you'll, you'll see it if you look hard enough. Electron applications. It's a pretty big stack for a local application. Um, but what Chrome OS apparently has done is it sort of takes all of these Web apps and and I say turn them inside out because you'll 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 hit your little uh, application button, which by default is the caps lock. Although I've I've, I've remapped that, but more on that later, I guess. Uh, and then type in something that you're searching for, like calculator. And apparently, there's not a calculator on on this particular machine. And I'll explain why that might be the case again in a little bit. So um, either way. You could look through. Oh, there's one files. So actually, I don't know if that's one of them. Anyway, my point is, I do have a point, and that is that they've they've exploded all of these applications that normally would be apps, sort of within your Google application suite, and they've made them into apparently self-standing apps. But but really, it's. It's just tabs that have been taken out of the browser, get rid of the the browser window decoration and menu options that wouldn't be relevant in that situation, and just give you the app part. And that's pretty much the experience. That is Chrome OS. It, like, out of the box, that's Chrome OS. I think that's it. Um, It's a bit weird, you know, like um for for someone who wants to be who who wants to use the computer as a computer that does feel very limiting um it did not take me long to continue past that part of the experience it was as dismal as i'd expected like that was the chrome os experience that i had feared and it was exactly as i'd expected it was it was here is a browser and here are the five or six applications that google application suite happens to offer, none of which I use in real life. So, and and frankly, none of which are very useful to to my, my interests. None of these had things that interested me in any way. Like, even Google Docs, which is kind of their word processor, well, it's not kind of, the, it is their word processor, even that didn't really hold any interest for me because I wanted to write in plain text. And Google Docs doesn't really understand that concept. It doesn't know Really how to, how to treat plain text. I mean, you can style it in a certain way so that it looks like plain text, and then you can, I guess, export it as plain text, although of course that's not the intention. Google Drive expects it to be an entity, that file to be an entity within your Google Drive. There's a, a certain almost hyper-integration to it, if, if that's even the right word. I, I guess what I'm really trying to say is it's very difficult once you're in Chrome OS, as far as I can tell by default, to extricate your, your the, the data that you believe you are saving out of Google. And that is obviously the intent. That is exactly what Google intends and it is not i don't think it's a bad idea interestingly shockingly like i get it i,
1: I you know what i don't think they're trying to create a lock-in personally uh, i think they're trying to offer some services the more i study this but i mean i've got uh, the flat pack for libra office installed right here and i can launch that just show you And it's got the latest LibreOffice 7.03, I guess it is, or whatever it is, uh, installed. And I can just pull this thing up and start writing away. And I can store these documents on my Google Drive or, uh, as I'm doing, put them on my OpenBSD server. And there doesn't seem to be any lock-in here that I can see. I mean, you have multiple ways to get out of it. It's just that they offer a lot of commercial apps, especially in that Android Play Store, that are rather hit and miss as to whether they exactly work right or not. And some of them require you to put down money. Uh, for instance, the Chromium extension that I'm using to record this video, it's 45 bucks a year, I think, is what they want. Uh, plus, they have another editor that you can buy for another 45 bucks a year, which I've, I'm not doing because I'm using... Um, Caden Live and um, OpenShot video editors with Blender inside the Linux beta, so I don't really need it. I just download my video from the drive and um, do my processing if there's any to be done
2: really do. I I totally get it. And if there was, for instance, a next cloud OS whereby it doesn't have to be the bootable OS understand. I guess it would be more like a next cloud desktop whereby you would boot into your Chrome OS or you know, whatever, your your future pretend cloud computer. You boot into that and your desktop is an exploded, turned inside out kind of expression of of your next cloud instance, then that would work really well for me to be honest. Like that would be great. Uh, if I could just interface directly with all of my next cloud components, but as individual apps and all my files would be saved into my next cloud instance, that, that makes sense. Like it makes a hundred percent sense to me. And it's, it is honestly not a bad, a bad idea
1: at all. And you could certainly do that with a stock Chromebook. Um, uh- I refuse to put that on my OpenBSD server uh, because of security issues. I think they need to improve upon that quite a bit before I'll let that get installed in my server. But for me personally, um, I can just uh, use the SSHFS, the Fuse file system, and mount uh, one of the volumes of my OpenBSD server use the applications that I have locally installed here on the Chromebook and essentially do the same thing. Uh, what I'd be missing is a calendar, I guess, and stuff like that. But, you know, um, when it comes to working online, uh, the little bit that I do, I don't mind using Google Docs and uh, Google's calendar to um, take care of the few little tasks that I have to do, and, and, you know, considering my age. Um, but I, I could see where, where people would want to write in a, in a free format like LibreOffice or Mandocs or something like that if you were actually doing some development. And you can do that in the Linux beta anyway. I
2: don't know if if you, dear listener, were personally lucky enough to see some of the mid-2000s, like 2006, 7, 8, that time frame. There were some really interesting experiments around operating systems that existed, like desktops that existed in your web browser. So you could open up a web browser, go to this location. One of them was called IOS, E-Y-E-O-S, which I think... I think someone grabbed that domain since, and it's a completely different thing. But at the time, it was something like ios.something or another. You would go there, and it was probably just either com or net or org, because I don't think they had, yeah, they didn't have a bunch of fancy domain, top-level domains back then. But you go there, and you would log in, and, and your browser screen would become a, a, a desktop.
1: And you- Or more importantly, you could just install a thin client on a uh, digital ocean server, and access uh, that that machine uh, as a thin client. You could do that too. I mean that that technology has been available for thirty years now, right? At least twenty years. Uh, yeah, thirty years actually. Uh, it's been available for thirty years. So you you could install a uh, X server on a Digital Ocean or um, a machine like I've got here. I could do a Think Client with OpenBSD and literally run an OpenBSD desktop. But, you know, there there are many ways to solve this problem. I think the reason why people buy Chromebooks and why I've become interested in it is, is I view Google's Chromebook and its software as an enhancement to my already free GNU experience. It's an enhancement. You know, it's not something that I have to take or use. It's there if I want it like Google Assistant and stuff like that. But I, I'm not required. Uh, I don't have to push that button if I don't want to. So in other words, it's an enhanced OS. And when you start going back into the GNU framework where you're just running GNU only, like you're running Triscoll or something, or OpenBSD, you don't have these enhancements. They're not available at your fingertips. So, kind of the way I view using a Chromebook is I get the pretty much the best of all the worlds. The best of all of them. The commercial junk that you hate, the spying and everything else, which you'd get with any web browser you installed on in any operating system, Firefox even, you, you'd be spied on, you, you'd be tracked, you know, you you can't get away from it. You, so you get, you, but you get all the enhancements of all the cool software that they offer. But you also get the the complete volume of free software, uh, uh, GPG licensed or BSD licensed software that you normally use in your open environments. You know, it's it's the best of all worlds combined. Plus, I might add that. If you leave it as a Chromebook, you know, Google does updates about once every month or two. And it really reminds me of the days of running Crunchbang Linux, Philip Newberg. Uh, or I, or Newborn, or is it Newborn or Newberg? Excuse me, Philip, if you're listening. But it reminds me, I've got several Crunchbang Linux cops and cups and shirts around the house. I really love Crunchbang Linux. But it was a, a an operating system that was always there. Uh, it never screwed up on you and it was always dependable. Now, can I say that about the Chromebook? Well, you just saw me not be able to resume the GNU World Order podcast because something's overloaded in the system. I mean, they still got some bugs to work out, but, and you'd occasionally have problems, of course, with CrunchBang Linux, but it was a relatively unchanging, stable operating system that I don't have to do any maintenance on. It's just done for me automatically. I mean, at the most, I might have to go to the Play Store and update a few apps every month and then run uh, in the Linux beta an apt update slash apt upgrade and and upgrade things there. And uh, other than that, it, it remains a very stable environment. And someday, it won't be a Linux beta anymore. They'll have full functionality, including using OBS Studio to record the desktop, which they don't currently have. And uh, really, when you sit down in front of a Chromebook, you, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Um, the, the worlds will be completely integrated, completely integrated. So again, I view it as you're getting the best of, of all of it. This is the, the pinnacle, the peak of the emergence between open source and proprietary software
2: you you'd have a little menu at the bottom of the of the window and you click on your applications and launch a little text editor inside of there and so you it was like a it was a window into this sort of cloud-based operating system and it was a fascinating idea i mean it felt as clunky as it sounds you know i mean it it, it is it's it's like well, it's like a virtual machine with no integration f- with your host whatsoever but and it lived in the browser so if, if the browser crashed or if you i don't know closed the browser without thinking about it or something then it went away but it was a really fascinating idea and i feel like this is kind of that idea that that's that's this con- that's the continuation of that concept here in chrome os so what I'm really really trying to impress upon you dear listener is that it, this is not a bad idea. If if you are a person with your your and you you have progressed beyond physical thumb drives and your 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 USB thumb drive is the cloud, which is a completely reasonable thing especially with something like Nextcloud where you you own the hardware and the software running this little quote-unquote cloud then then having a computer that just kind of interfaces directly with that and the synchronization is always on it felt very natural the only thing that felt unnatural was the ecosystem the actual the, the cloud that i was on and and i had no interest in interfacing with the google cloud and it turns out to the surprise of probably no one, Chrome OS is not the right tool for someone who does not want to get involved with Google. Before we walk away from the default Chrome OS experience, I do want to mention the Google Play Store, because it is a significant part of the default experience of Chrome OS. As I understand it, it is relatively new, and I don't know what that means, because new, to me, is everything about Chrome OS, having just gotten involved with it sort of uh, three weeks ago. But so, I mean, you know, when I say new, it could be five years ago, it could be seven years ago, it could be yesterday. I don't know. But at some point, the Google Play Store was opened up to Chrome OS users. And what that means is that just as people can install applications on an Android phone, they can also install it on Chrome OS. That's a big deal, because if you think about what Chrome OS is, which is a a web browser with Google web apps, then the Android Play Store, the the Google Play Store, offers everything else. So you name it. Uh, if you're looking for, I don't know, games, I guess, are on the Play Store. Um, uh, I don't know, a, a voice recorder. That was that's, that's something that you're looking to record a podcast. You can't do that on Chrome. I mean, you can if you find some kind of cloud-based voice recording service, which I'm sure there are many out there. But what if you want to do this locally? Well, you could find a, a voice recording app in the Play Store and run that. Uh, maybe you don't like, I don't know, the the text... The editing options you want to do something you don't you don't use google docs you want to use a, a, a text editing app well you could maybe you could find that in the google play store so in other words applications really honestly like all all applications that you want to run that aren't in a browser google play store is able to 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 provide some something i, I don't know if it's an alternative because. In in many cases, it's not an alternative. It is it is the only alternative. It's the only thing you've got to use. Um, so it's huge that the Play Store is available to Chrome OS users. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't, like I say, I've ignored Chromebooks for so long at this point that I I don't know how common it is for people to to take advantage of that. I don't know if it's something that people do frequently. I don't even know if most people have the ability to because I, I do understand, to, to a limited degree, I understand that Chromebooks are probably very frequently managed devices. So you may, as a user, not have the ability to install something from Play Store because maybe you don't have, you know, someone's limiting your ability to, to, um, to do that, which...
1: And uh, uh, concerning that, the Play Store apps that won't run on a Chromebook You know, Android apps, Uh, for instance, uh, anything that involves GPS, uh, like a GPS program that will show you the satellite constellation or give you your elevation or your exact latitude and longitude, you cannot run on a Chromebook. Because for some reason, even on the most expensive Chromebooks that they sell, (coughs) there is no GPS receiver, which kind of surprised me. There's no GPS receiver, so I can't use this as a map. While I drive in my pickup truck across the country, you know, I can't use Google Maps and navigate like I can with an Android phone, and that's a shame because the Pixelbook Go has a battery life of about 10 hours. I've actually been walking around here with the lid closed and just opening it occasionally, and I've had this thing running for over 24 hours because I I often will just sit close the unit up and sit it next to me while I'm reading a book or doing something else or I'm out in the patio and then I'll open it to access some information, read the news or play a podcast or play a video or something and it just lasts forever. So it's, at least in, in my unit, uh, with that kind of battery life, if they had a GPS receiver it would be great the other option that may be available i haven't really investigated it but that would be uh, to get uh, 4 and 5g access straight into the chromebook so i don't have to um, <clears throat> have an android phone uh, with it with a wi-fi you know a, a wi-fi built into it to allow me to gain internet access on the chromebook you know i I'd, I'd buy a um, a LTE device of some kind uh, uh, 4G, uh, you know, modem interface uh, to access the cell towers. If they could integrate it in with a laptop, I mean, that would make it even better as well. But yeah, it did make me wonder why Google, of all people, didn't put a GPS and offer um, uh, a setup to where we could just sign up with a provider. Perhaps you can if you go to a T-Mobile store and bought your Chromebook there. You know, maybe you could have done it that way. But uh, And maybe they have some plug-in dongles that will allow you to get GPS and cell phone access, too. I haven't investigated that either. But a lot of that sort of technology won't be available if you switch over to Chromium OS and get away from it and start running after and all that. You know, you might not be able to, to access that sort of, sort of kind of stuff, so... There's a downside to going from a straight Chromebook to, you know, hacking one over to Chromium OS and running Droid and stuff like that.
2: Limits, you know, the the, the device's usefulness in many ways. Anyway, so um, that's it's a pity, but I mean, yeah, sometimes that's that's the goal of the device is to just be a device for a specific set of apps. So for managed managed devices, I can imagine that that none of these sort of workarounds are going to do anything because the, the device is strictly maintained by some other entity other than yourself. But if that's not the case, then Google Play Store is there. And so the default, you know, like the, the normal everyday user who's who just purchased a Chromebook off the shelf, what they're getting is a web browser, they're getting some Google web apps, and they're getting access to all of the Android apps that exist on uh, that, that oh, sorry, all of the Android ex- uh, pl- uh, apps that exist on the Play Store—that's a—that's an important thing to realize. Now I know I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I don't use the Play Store. I use Fdroid, and so I would, if I were going to do this, I would just load Fdroid apps on my Chrome OS. Well, you—you you could definitely try to do that. The Chrome OS will stop you. It—it it, it recognizes that the application that you're trying to install, that that APK that you're trying to install on your device, is not a Play Store authorized or verified whatever app. And so it will not let you install the FDroid app on Chrome OS without you working around its, its preventative measures. And I don't want to go into that because that's not the default Chrome OS experience. What I've just described is the default Chrome OS experience. And I have to admit that if you are okay with living your life within Google's guise, then the default Chromebook experience is not bad. I mean, it's not bad in the same way that, you know, I don't know, I guess Mac experience isn't bad if you're okay with just, doing whatever Mac tells you to do or Apple tells you to do. Windows isn't bad as long as you're okay with just letting Microsoft decide arbitrarily what you're not authorized to do. Yes, it's, it's not great, but at the same time, like in terms of using a computer, purchasing a computer and then sitting down at a desk and, and using the thing, I, I have to say in a weird way, it's, it's, it's not as bad as I'd expected. It was sort of like, yeah, I could, there is use here. I could see how a person, if I was if I really put myself into someone else's shoes, I can imagine how a person could do work as long as they live in a browser. And I know a lot of people really, really do. They, they use online services left and right. And so this would feel like a very reasonable, if not restrictive, platform for them. And I think in a way, and hear me out here, I think in a way Google has successfully called people's bluffs. What I mean by that is, for many, many years now, we Linux users have been telling people, if you do not like macOS, if you do not like Windows, then you can come over to Linux and use Linux, and it will do everything that you need it to do. And people have sometimes uh, ignored us outright. Other times, they have taken us up on the challenge, and they've tried Linux for a day. And sometimes, I mean, to to be fair, you know, sometimes people try it for quite a long time. So often, it seems like they they, they they encounter some kind of block, something that doesn't work the way they need it or want it to work immediately, and they say, well, there you go. I gave it a try, and I just can't do this thing, and so I'm going to walk away from Linux, or I'm not going to ever try Linux, or whatever the, the scenario might be. And I've often been rather suspect of that. I've, I've always felt like there was a little bit of there, something disingenuous about that. And I feel like... Google, because maybe because they have, because they're Google, they have lots of money, they've been able to, to get the Chromebook into lots of hands, I feel like they have truly, they, they've they've told people, look, if you don't like Mac, you don't like Windows, you can try a Chromebook, and people have been trying it, and for whatever reason, people, when they try that, they say, oh, well, this doesn't do... This thing or this doesn't this isn't working the way that I need it to or whatever instead of just dropping it they find a workaround now why are people willing to find that workaround for Chrome OS and they haven't been willing to find that workaround for Linux I, I think there, there are probably lots of different factors going on here I mean I think probably one of the one of the reasons is it's Google it, it's a branded product and people uh, in today's world they love branded products they just
1: that's not the reason I bought it
2: they love to feel like there's a company out there taking them under their, under its protective wing. And so if you just stick with Chrome, Chrome OS and Chrome, your Chromebook device and, and just work, work with Google to solve your problems, it'll be fine. Whereas Linux, you don't, you don't really have that sort of figurehead. Linux,
1: I, I look at it as a challenge. You know, Google may try to prevent me from doing something, but I'll get around it. It's just, it's another challenge View it as a challenge. <laughs>
2: ...is famously disparate. There, There is no central Linux thing to sort of latch on to if you're the person who needs the central thing to latch on to. Not everyone does, but I think the people who don't are probably comfortably okay. They're, they're Linux users. Uh, and the people <coughs> who do, I think, are latching on to s- some, some figurehead, whether it's the Google logo or the Apple logo or the Windows logo. So you've got that going on. I think you also have... Um, the, the, the cost of the, the barrier of entry, which is the cost. And, and when you spend money on a device, you are frequently more likely to work with that device. And I remember back in the 2000 somethings, uh, 2006, I guess everything happens in 2006. Um, the, the triple EPC came out and it distributed Linux on the, the device and it was a different form factor and it shook the foundations of the computing industry. It made lots of different companies think, very differently about what a laptop was and could be and was expected to be and I think it, it's arguable that it even ushered in the the, the era of, of tablets and things like that and portable devices and and certainly the lightweight laptops so I mean it was it was huge and yet even then even that computer people people took and installed Windows XP onto instead of of Windows so I, I think there's the this margin of escape that Chromebook by ensuring that its OS is this immutable, uh, untouchable OS image somewhere on your machine that you don't really even have control over or knowledge of, it's like a phone practically, it's a mobile device. There, there's no way for you to put something else on that. This is it. You get Chrome OS. That's what you've got on this hardware device.
1: I know, and in some cases, uh, with people like me that switch operating systems on certain laptops virtually every week, it's a sharp relief because, you know, now I can't. I'm forced to stay with this one. It's just fine. It, it's just like the experience I was talking about, like running CrunchBang Linux. Um, when I got hooked on CrunchBang Linux, I found myself stuck on that for, it was like six years, and then he discontinued it. I mean, I couldn't get away from it. I, I put it on everything, and it's just one of those operating systems that... Um, appeals to you because of its simplicity and because it's a chromebook i no longer have to maintain it you know it will enhance itself like arch linux periodically for the next six years and then i'll have to buy another chromebook to get more modern hardware and just start the process all over again which seems reasonable because that's pretty much what we were doing When we were running CrunchBang or Slackware or what have you, OpenBSD, you'd run a laptop for four or five years and you'd get tired of it, give it to somebody and go buy you a new one.
2: You don't get to back out of that decision. That's the decision that you've made and you get to work around that decision. Or if you're wealthy enough, then you just write it off. You just give it to your kid and, and get yourself a different computer that you like better or something like that. I do think there's a little bit of the investment syndrome. You've invested in this thing and darn it, you're going to make it work.
1: And you know that's true too. I put good money into this and uh, I want it to make it work. And I, I see that Google's progressing along to where we'll be able to do everything that we did in a Linux environment here on the Chromebook OS anyway. It's going to happen. So um, it just doesn't make any sense. Plus uh, Google does better security I think than uh, any other Linux distro I know of, uh, you know, could do. I mean, they're, they're go- going to be a very security-conscious um, company, and Chromebook is uh, their primary product. I mean, this is, this is the thing that Google's thrown the most money in that they're not likely to walk away from. But if they did, if they did walk away from it, then Chromium OS would be gone as well, and we would all be installing something like linux mint on our chromebooks probably
2: i think it's really interesting though i think there's a lot there's something to be learned there and i don't know if linux can act upon those lessons because linux as i say isn't an entity that's not a single thing that can that can sort of respond to that same you can't leverage the same tricks you can't play the same tricks on our public that that chromebook and mac os arguably and windows plays so an interesting thing to take note of let's go get coffee and then we'll come back and we're going to talk about the other side of this whole equation and it's full of open source so get ready for it set the stage here. I'm assuming you have coffee. I want to set the stage here. I had made the decision to get a Chromebook. Uh, That was something that I was going to do. I, I just decided that I had to learn more about this platform. It was time for me to stop stammering and admitting ignorance whenever anyone asked me about a Chromebook. I wanted the experience. I didn't do a whole lot of research. Before purchasing. And I want to emphasize that because I was very much diving into something unknown. And I really felt like I had just taken $450 out of my pocket and burned it because I, 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 but I mean, that was the price of doing business. I thought I am a a computer person arguably uh, an expert in computers i mean if you ask you know my neighbors that's what i am so that that's that's the part i'm going to play here i am going to invest in this computer going to be horrible and and maybe after i spend the money and realize that this is a just an, an abysmal platform that no one should ever use, I will be able to get rid of the computer to a good, you know, give it to a good home. Maybe some kid in the neighborhood or in the town will not have the money for a Chromebook required for school, and so I can just donate it. So that was what was going through my head. I got the, the default experience. I was not overjoyed with it. Uh, impressed, but not overjoyed. And I should have, I should mention, too, when you turn the thing on, you know, when you're logging into your Google account and stuff, the, the initial setup stage, it does have really good accessibility features. So if you're looking for a laptop for someone with low vision, low mobility, whatever, this is not... You know, they've, they've got options for it. More options, I, I think more options haven't looked at some lately, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really good. It's really good. I mean, it, it still suffers from the problem of not being on by default. And so you're, in other words, visually prompting a blind person to turn on an optional uh, speech uh, screen reader function. So, I mean, that's not going to work for a blind person. Someone will have to be there for the blind person to, to know when and where and how to turn that feature on. So that's a problem. It's a pretty typical problem, to be honest. You, you find that in a lot of devices. I would say most, um, most companies d- don't, don't ever think about that. Uh, they, you know they, they, they're, they're asking you to, to point at a little button on screen and turn on mobility <coughs> accessibility features. Well, if you don't have good mobility, then that could be very challenging for you. These features, I feel like, especially during that initial setup phase should just be on first, and then people can turn them off as part of the setup. But they, they, it shouldn't be off and then be able to be turned on by the people who cannot respond to the prompt. Really strange oversight that I just, I can't imagine why no usability person in any company seems to have thought of that. Well, I shouldn't say no usability person in any co- company. Someone thought of it at Apple because it is on by default last time I heard. Anyway, it's, it's a good experience. Like I said, it's as good as any other experience that you're going to have on a consumer device. Luckily for me as a consumer, there are options. You can do other things with your Chrome OS device other than sign into Chrome OS and use a Google computer. You can instead, well, okay, I'm going to do this in phases. Here's what we, here's what you can do. You can have Chrome OS on your Chrome and you can activate what is called the Linux beta. The Linux beta is a feature on Chromebook that allows you to run Linux applications on your Linux computer. It's an amazing, amazing feature. Um, The way that they implement this is a little bit surprising to me. They, You're not, so the Chrome, the Chrome platform is based on Linux. I want to emphasize that. This is, um, I I, I would have to argue that, I mean, well, I, I guess, I would have to surmise, I would have to theorize that this is how BSD people must have felt when mac os came out with a bunch of u- bsd utilities now that to be fair always has confused me because it's not like macOS is running a literal bsd kernel it just has a bunch of bsd utilities on it which i mean that is cool and all but that's it's not really people say oh mac os is bsd but i mean it's not really it's it's running a different kernel and it has it's borrowed a lot of ideas and stuff from bsd so i I never really got the whole idea that mac was bsd i never quite understood that but anyway this is linux like this is actually linux you can you you can you can look into the file system. I mean, not not by default. That's not the experience we're going for right now. We're, we're past the default Chrome OS experience. Um, but this is a Linux device, um, which I think if I'd known, if I'd really understood that, and I think that's why people early on within the Linux community were excited about Chromebooks, more excited about Chromebooks than I sort of thought reasonable. Um, but, I mean, it, it is a Linux device. So this is kind of amazing. However many Chromebooks are out there just... Just, like, even, I think, more so than Android phones. I mean, not necessarily more so, but, like, really, yeah. I mean, this is, like, a computer running a Linux kernel, and lots and lots of people are using it. It's kind of amazing if you think about it. Now, it's all hidden, and so you can go into your settings and activate this Linux beta feature. And you can do this just... As a normal user, I mean, again, we'll we'll assume that the the question of managed devices is not entering the equation here, because I don't have any experience with that, and I assume that that would restrict... All kinds of things. So we won't we won't talk about managed devices. But if you own your device and you manage it yourself, you can go in and turn on Linux beta, and it, um, it it offers to partition your hard drive, such as it may be. I mean, the Chromebooks. You know, part of the theory here is that you don't need a whole lot of local storage. Everything's going to go up to Google. So you're not partitioning your Google Drive. You know, you're you're partitioning whatever physical media there actually is on you know embedded in your computer
1: i would all right well the the linux beta is in fact a um a container when you run qemu you cannot access things like kvm to to speed it up you know you can't run the kvm module not from inside a container um it's not going to work that way um so you can run QEMU as a normal user. Um, it gives you, out of the four processors I have in the i7, it gives you two of them. And it keeps the other two for the Chromebook OS parent. You do get access to the full 16 gigabytes of RAM. So I can run stuff like Faguta and really stack the RAM up with programs and stuff. Um, there is 128 gigabyte um hypersonic ssd that this particular chromebook that I've got runs on and you can tell it to give it any portion of that volume or actually it's 256 gigabytes isn't it excuse me it's 256 gigabytes in this model so I gave my linux partition 100 gigabytes so I've got plenty of room to play around with and and create volumes and all kinds of things (coughs) <clears throat> but you cannot access uh, things like your, um, you can't access a USB pin drive that you might plug in from your Linux um, container. You can't do it. Uh, you can't access Google Drive. However, I can use SSHFS to get just gigabytes of storage out in my OpenBSD server, which is how I resolve my problem. <coughs> excuse me <coughs> of um, you know, if you have limited storage, you can use SSHFS and um, ramp up some storage pretty quickly that way over the network. You can do that. but um, at any rate, let's Klete was having problems, he said, getting audio to work in the Linux container. So for those of you watching the video, and I will <coughs> uh, explain things as I push buttons. If you go down here and you push on the time on your on your little bar, then go up to your uh, your settings button and push that, and then scroll down when that comes up to your Linux beta, and then explode your Linux beta tab. You'll see down here they've added, uh, and I happen to be on. Chromebook 87 by now. it's We're on the 87 upgrade. Allow Linux to access your microphone. And I have that clicked yes. In which case it will ask you to restart your container to make that take effect. And then in order to get the audio through, on Audacity, we'll just open that up. Uh, you go under edit in Audacity. Is it edit or where is it? Where's the preferences on Audacity? I've forgotten. Because I'm recording, it may not allow me to access preferences. I think that's the problem. And it It is under edit, I think, where your preferences is. Yeah, it is, and it's it's grayed out. I can't access it. Not while I'm recording. But I'll just tell you from memory, if you uh, go under the section where it asks you to, to select your audio input device... And it'll have it all set up for Pulse Audio. Just go down under the microphone uh, or, or the recording device, whatever, and select from there uh, the uh, internal microphone hardware um, 0,0, 0 in, um, in brackets. And uh, you'll get access to your microphone. And then you can record. You can record audio Using uh, either Google's built-in rec- microphone, which is what I'm using now, or uh, earbuds if you have them. You know, some sort of Bluetooth device. So let's start this recording back up again, or the playback.
2: I was able to do that uh, with a 25 gigabyte Linux partition and i think another 25 for chrome chrome os or something like that so it was a considerable size i mean not really i mean my thumb drive is 64 128 gigabytes so you know there there are there are it's a scale here but um 20 gigs out of whatever it is 50 gigs 64 gigs whatever is on this computer is is pretty respectable i thought so that's nice. And then once you do that, you, you wait for it to sort of set everything up, and then it opens up a terminal for you. And this terminal, if I type in uname-av, tells me it's lin- Linux Penguin 5.4.74. That's what it is uh, as of this recording. And uh, that's kind of kind of cool. So it, it is actually a Linux terminal. If I do, for instance, sudo apt search, I don't know, Emacs, then I get I get the results of a pseudo apt search Emacs. So yeah, this is it. Um, let me do a cat slash Etsy star e l e a s. I don't remember what its release. What is it? OS release, something like that. Uh, so this says it's Debian GNU Linux ten Buster, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm running now. Now interestingly, this isn't really. This is. It's not like this terminal has punched through the the veneer of Chrome OS and is looking at the Linux layer underneath. I'm not, this is not Chrome OS in other words. This is actually a Linux container running on Linux. I feel like that's a really surprising sort of layer of abstraction. And I haven't been able to delve quite deep enough Yet into into how this is implemented to know whether this is, for instance, like a toolbox on Silverblue on Fedora Silverblue, or if it's if it's a completely if it is a container, a proper container being managed by C groups, or whether it's like a virtual machine that is being hypervisored. So I'm I'm not entirely sure what exactly I'm dealing with here, and I haven't I haven't I have not yet looked deep enough into it to understand the the exact technology but it smacks of well one of those because for instance if i if i go over to a browser and download foo.jpeg then foo.jpeg appears in my downloads folder in my file manager here this is just the normal chrome os file manager downloads um but not in my linux files so those are two separate partitions remember we we had to create a separate partition for linux Or a separate container or something for Linux. And so I don't see the things in, in, from, from Linux. If I do an LS while I'm in my home directory, I don't see any files there. And yet I know from clicking on my files in the little file manager, if I go to downloads, there it is. So it kind of, it, it, it represents Linux in the file manager as a different folder in your in your my files location file location but in reality it seems to be more than that because you can also do things like you can right click on for instance downloads and select share with Linux, and then Linux can reach those files as well. So there's always this weird kind of unsettling, awkward separation between your Linux side and your Chrome OS side. And I'm not exactly entirely sure why they didn't just sort of say, okay, well, if the user has created a Linux partition, then we're going to sim link or whatever they need to do, tunnel or, or, or do a, a file share of some sort. Such that the Linux home directory is, is your my files or, or maybe at least your Linux downloads directory is your downloads directory in, in Chrome OS. I feel like that would be a more natural kind of connection between those two, those two paths. Whereas right now it seems like you, it's just like it's this extra thing that you have to do. I'm sure there's probably a command. I would hope there, there was a command to do this, but right now you can, you can right-click on the, for instance, downloads and tell it, yes, share with Linux, and then you can access those things from Linux or something like that. It's awkward. Um, but Linux does run, and it's more than just a Linux terminal. It is a Linux terminal with apt, for instance. So you can install, uh, like I say, Emacs, and then in your application menu within Within Chrome OS, your application menu sees that you have installed Emacs, and you now have Emacs available to you as an application that you can launch and run within Chrome OS. And you would be hard-pressed to tell Emacs apart from any other application on your Chrome OS. I mean, it it is exactly... it. It just, it behaves exactly the same way. It is fully integrated into the system. And I want to emphasize this point for people who have maybe tried playing around with Mac OS and some of their, you know, the Mac OS X-Courts integration, which I shouldn't even say the word integration and the term X-Courts in the same sentence. If you've ever had to suffer through X-Courts, you'll know that the, that the, that the integration is just doesn't exist. There's just not. There is no integration there. I mean, there is strictly speaking, but but really, it, it never feels like it. It's it's a really it's it, it's pretty poorly done. Not so with this. This is surprisingly well integrated. This this feels exactly like the same system. Except it always goes back to that file system separation. That's a little bit weird. So if you've got a text file that you've downloaded into your uh, Chrome OS downloads, then when you open up. Your Emacs, you're going to have to work to get to that text file. Or more likely, you'll just drag that text file into your Linux directory and, and then use it from there. So there is a weird invisible barrier there that, that to an, to an, a normal user must really feel strange. Why, why is that? It, it must feel less like a barrier and just like, really clunky, clunky design. Like, why Why do I have to put all my files in this folder called Linux files? Like, I, I, I understand that that's what I have to do in order to see my files, but why? Why would they do it that way? And the answer is I don't...
1: Actually, um, if I wanted to use a Linux program to open something that's outside of the Linux container, I could open uh, my file manager in Chrome OS and let's see if I have anything in downloads. I have a picture here and I can click on that and open my picture of my squirrel, okay? But let's say that I wanted to open it with something else um, other than gallery I could uh, pick a Linux app like um, here's... um, image magic which I believe is one of the Linux apps and just click on that and the Linux app will open from the Linux container here in a minute hopefully there it is and you can see my little picture of the squirrel that's actually a Linux app that's opening data from outside of the container now that doesn't work all the time with everything that you do for instance If I go into my Linux files and I go in here where I keep my keypass.xc password file and I try to open up my master password and I I right click on that and hit more actions, I see that keypass.xc is not listed as one of the options. So Google hasn't put up all of the options on their file manager to open everything. Not yet. So I would go into the command line on the console, I'd type keypass.xc, and then provide the path to my password file, and it would open it. That's how I'd have to do it, or do it from the keypass.xc file open command, or hit the file database open button and map myself over that way. Other problems I've seen with the Linux container, of course, is I've just mentioned, you can't use Simple Screen Recorder or OBS Studio, to capture your Chromebook desktop from the Linux beta, because there's no video access that I can have figured out yet. Doesn't appear to be any. Uh, that's coming probably in 2021 sometime, I would guess. And uh, uh, I also had a problem running the library app. You know, the Linux app of uh, the deb the deb file uh, that wouldn't run at all from um, when I installed that in the Linux beta. I also couldn't get the library flat pack to run. Uh, f- for some reason. And I I don't know why that is. Apparently there's something that it needs. Uh, it's probably related to SSL I guess. That just isn't in the Linux beta. That, that particular application needed. And uh, it's just not there. It's not there to, to use. So it won't run. So there are a few smoothing points left. And it may never get to a point where it could run everything, but on the bright side, you know, if you wanted to run those kind of applications and not run the Android library app, or just run a library from the the website, you know, you can access it from Chrome or Firefox, I have Firefox installed on here, both from the um, Android apps and also the Firefox Flat Pack from inside the Linux beta, I can access library that way. So, I mean, I've got multiple ways to access library. It seems like you're just having to use different software to do different things until they get everything working with the Linux beta. But even if they do get everything working with the Linux beta someday, I may still be using the Android apps and other ways to access things because um, they have their cool features as well. So, again, it's, it's a hodgepodge, and Linux beta is just that. It's a beta... It's still under development, and it might be another couple years before they finish smoothing that out to where everything you could do in Linux is really supported but separated in a container from the rest of the operating system in Chromebook OS.
2: I don't know why they would do it that way. It seems really odd to me, so I'm not really sure what 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 they were thinking there, and hopefully that will get better eventually, because I I can definitely see some really smooth avenues to just making that not be apparent to people. You could just say, there's your downloads folder. Because once you're in your Chrome OS file manager, you have no sensation of a system, uh, of a file system. Like the the file manager of Chrome is exactly what you would imagine from a Google product. It is a, a window with essentially what I assume are labels or tags off to the left. So if you want to find all of your image files, you would click on images. And whether they're in your downloads folder or in some other directory, on your computer, they show up there. But there's no sense, really, of folders and directories. It's it's a big bucket where you put all your stuff. And and it, it just feels odd to me that the one exemption to that is Linux files. Um, so it, it may as well just be the same bucket, as far as I can tell. And no one would really understand the difference there. It would just look like the same bucket. Now, once you're within a Linux app, the fact that you have directories or that you might have directories, that's up to you, because you're creating the directories yourself. But otherwise, you're just throwing everything into that same bucket. I don't.
1: And you can also create directories on your Google Drive, um, all the directories that you want. But, you know, now that we're on the subject of creating directories, I'm just curious, uh, and I'll start up the file manager. Can I create a directory inside here? And yes, I can. I can make a new folder and call it anything, dogs or whatever. There, I'll just call that one dogs. There. I now have a dogs file folder next to my downloads, Linux files and play files and I can just go in there and create it. And, you know, as far as Linux videos goes and the images and audio and recent yeah, those are all kind of quick starts. Let's see, can I kill my dogs file folder? Or delete it? Yep, sure can. So, it's just like Linux, it's just that they offer um, they offer enhancements, you know. If you're looking for audio, you can click on audio and it'll help you find the audio quickly. But you can create your own uh, download folder, whatever you want, for your movies, music, pictures, whatever you want in here. It's not really any different than any other Linux operating system, other than it has that enhancement, which sort of freaked out Clatoo. You know, that they would have a bucket called music or pictures, or maybe images, where you'll only find pictures or images or music in those buckets, and they could come from anywhere. So it's just different ways to uh, prepare dinner here, if you will. You know, there's more than one way to... um, to uh, cook a roast.
2: I don't know why there'd be the separation. Okay. Anyway, Linux. It works exactly as you'd expect. That's all there is to say about that. It, Linux is exactly what you would hope for it to be. So if you had purchased a Chromebook and you were nervous, as you might be, about sort of the functionality of the thing, you're, you're just turning on Linux beta. Pretty much, you've you've just sort of you've made up the price of that computer. It is now a fully functional computer, with a couple of exceptions. So first of all, Linux has that there is that separation between the Linux and the Chrome system. So you're going to have some problems with Linux programs that require access to ports that Chrome OS otherwise dominates. So for instance, I tried recording this very episode on the Chromebook, and to my dismay, it just wouldn't work. I installed Audacity a couple of different ways, and tried to get my sound into audacity could get sound out could not get sound in and what i finally sort of settled on and i'm I'm not overly pleased with the the answer but i I think
1: well you can use audacity and i'm using it right now and i've just explained that i'm not going to explain it again but yeah you can you can do it by the way no matter what chromebook os or chromebook you buy They're all going to be using the same OS and they'll all work exactly the same way too. Which is another cool thing about Chrome OS and Chromebooks. Is that no matter what Chromebook you buy, the instructions I gave you will work on any of them. A Lenovo, an Acer, um, the Google product itself, Dell, any of them. You can run Audacity in in the method I just described. And they will all be supported, whether you're trying to record from the built-in microphone, or you're trying to record from earbuds or anything else. It will all be supported. In fact, most external audio devices are Bluetooth that are supported uh, within Chrome OS. And that is carried right into Linux with the Linux audio switch under the Linux beta column.
2: Think this is it it's just that that chrome os is grabbing for instance my usb headset it's it's grabbing control over that before linux has access to it
1: no because it's all running under pulse audio and i am recording audio uh, to a program right here uh, that is doing the video at the same time this program that i i'm i'm leasing for a year is recording audio from the same mic that audacity is recording audio from see audacity is making a recording i'm showing that on my video they're recording at the same time and that's one of the capabilities of pulse audio so um yeah you can record uh from multiple programs the same mic input
2: so i need some kind of usb pass-through option that i do not have at least at least not in an obvious way I haven't looked very, very deep into it, but I've tried a lot of different things. I've tried interfacing through ALSA and through Pulse and a bunch of other things, and it's just not working. It's just Linux itself is never seeing that device as an option. So that, that that's that's sort of a...
1: And that's another good point. Um, supported devices that will show up for Linux have yet to be uh, put in the Chrome OS, you know, for you to directly access them from the container. But they have these switches to where you can just ride in along with Chrome OS and grab whatever you want in the way of audio right now. So the audio problem is resolved. We just need them to give us access to the video so that we can make screencasts from the Chrome OS desktop. Okay? We need that. Otherwise, if you're going to make a screencast from a Chromebook right now, my suggestion would be to install uh, KDE Plasma in the Linux beta. Which you can do, get that running, and uh, or maybe you could install GNOME. There is a, an instructional tutorial on one of the Chromebook videos on YouTube for how to install KDE Plasma. And you can make your desktop recording using OBS Studio right there within the container. It's just that you won't be able to take pictures or, or make videos of what you're doing on your Chromebook OS desktop. By the way, the Chromebook OS desktop is basically GNOME 3, if you've noticed. It's, you know I, I push this button here, uh, or push this right here, excuse me. And this is, absolutely, that's GNOME 3, you know. So, Chrome OS desktop is GNOME 3. They just need to get GNOME 3 video access pipe down to the Linux container. That's the final piece to that. And then add a few fiddly bits here and there to make things like the library application fully functional, you know, that you can download as a Debian package or a pack, And um, they'll have everything, man. They'll they'll have it all. I mean, there won't be a damn thing that you can't do in a Chromebook that you could do in, say, Triscal OS or, or Debian installed on a regular laptop
2: non-starter. Now, if, if you're just looking to, you know, there, there are ways to work around those kinds of things. Like if, if your aim is simply to record audio, then you can use the Android applications that you have access to, to make up the, the, the difference. But if you were looking to use a specific Linux app, and I was, for instance, I wanted Audacity because I, I know that as I talk, I need to edit myself. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop recording and, and delete something that I, I wasn't sure about or, or delete some st- st- stammering and stuttering and so on. So I wanted Audacity specifically, not just some method of recording. I, I could get some method of recording, got that. But specifically that linux app that was not that was not working now if there had been an audacity um you know android edition or something then maybe uh, well that would that would work but but trying to use that feature of linux was not functional and i'm sure there are lots of other examples of that limitation so that's something to be aware of but in terms of kind of the productivity side of of linux and even the development side it's just it's it's exactly what you would expect. I've installed Lua. I've I've installed um Cute and uh, I've I've compiled and run applications that are Cute based. I've written Lua scripts. Everything's just kind of working the way that one would expect it to work pretty much. Watch out for the exceptions. I wouldn't bank on it, but I I would say overall the thing is is functioning as I would expect it to function. Okay, so
1: you know, really I'm surprised that the Google development team didn't just go ahead and integrate in a Ubuntu-based container, aren't you? Instead of going with Debian? Of course, if they did that, then they'd have to be upgrading along with Ubuntu all the time and um, the Snap packages and everything, you know. It does make you wonder why they didn't... Maybe make a contract with Ubuntu and just put Ubuntu in on the Chromebook. Doesn't that make you wonder? I mean, I realize the challenges might be a little greater. uh, But in other cases, though, it might actually be easier for them to do it if they had a Ubuntu container rather than a Debian container. Not that I find anything wrong with Debian. But I, just as a joke, I was thinking about installing Slackware 14.2 in a container down here just so that I could say that I had it. So that when I, when I listen to the, the rest of the GNU World Order podcast, I could follow along as Klaatu goes through various, you know, PDF readers and doc book programs and all these things that he's been doing. Cause it's, it's interesting. And I don't think that you're going to find much of that in, um uh, a Google Chromebook, unless you're in the Linux beta and, and Debian happens to have it. But, you know, there you go. In fact, it'd be it'd be just as cool if, if they'd make a container that you could put any Linux operating system in. Suppose you wanted to run OpenSUSE. That would be interesting. But, yeah, it does make me wonder, though, why, um, why Google didn't just shake hands with Ubuntu and say, okay, hey, we're going to suck um, Ubuntu uh, desktop and in your OS in our in our container. Are you cool with that? And just, you know, make a deal. And I think that would really be very attractive to a lot of people considering how uh, like 80% of the users out there are either using Linux Mint or um, or Ubuntu, one or the other. You know, most of them.
2: So that's Linux. And of course, Linux also has this new, f- new thing called Flatpak. And that turns out to work really well as well. So you can install Flatpak on, within your, your Linux terminal, and then install Flatpaks from, from your Linux environment, and, and Chrome OS becomes aware of the Flatpaks.
1: That's right. And here's my, um, here's my Flatpak of Firefox OS, or Firefox, right here. And it works. I just set it up here an hour or so ago. And it'll be a little slow loading because you know we got a lot going on in the system. But let me see if I can just get it to. Uh, we have so much going on in the computer right now. I'm sorry, it's very slow. But anyway, this is this is Firefox um, 83, I think it was. Here, start me is just fixing to come up. Hang on a second here, boys and girls. There we go. And it plays videos and sounds great through the speakers and everything. It's it's wonderful. Which version of Firefox is this by the way? Help. About Firefox. I was thinking it's Firefox what eighty sixty No, it's eighty three. Firefox eighty three. Right there. Let me go ahead and shut that back down again. wait. Anyway. Yeah, I've got just all kinds of flat packs installed in here. You'd be surprised what you can get to run and it it comes right out and you can put it right on your start bar.
2: So you now have your Linux applications and your flat packs and your Chrome OS applications all in the same loop.
1: And snaps if we had you boodoo, by the way. If, if they had that option which i i, I would encourage them to do location
2: looking like applications that may as well have shipped with the computer it's it's kind of amazing to be honest and again everything is working as expected outside of the the few exceptions of things that just collide i guess with with Chrome OS's systems or, or probably it's not that they collide it's just that it's being dominated by the Chrome OS side and there's no pass through into that I guess virtual machine or container or whatever it is. okay so that's that's just the Linux beta side of things now you can go a step farther and activate developer mode. Developer mode is really easy to activate. It was trivial to turn to, to to turn on. The problem was that well, there is no problem. the The thing about it is that it erases your computer. It's sort of like it re you know does some weird factory reset or something, and and it it, it activates the big fancy developer mode, which isn't really that fancy, but um, it's. It activates the developer mode by erasing, you know, resetting your device essentially. So you have to go through the whole setup experience again. So if you're going to do developer mode, just decide that early on or make sure all your stuff is backed up. But of course, you wouldn't have to back anything up because you're living in the Google paradise. But, um, assuming all of those things are, are fine. You turn on developer mode. You reboot. Well, you wait for it to reset. You finally, after a long while, you reboot, and now your computer beeps really, really loudly at you twice every time you turn it on. And that apparently is not something that you can deactivate outside of opening the computer and probably desoldering the little motherboard speaker or something. It's.
1: And I'll verify that is what it did because on the Acer, the the. Chromebook I bought from August of 2019. I did that. I went into developer mode and it does everything that he says. And my assessment of developer mode was it was basically a mess. I didn't like it at all. And is going to talk it up because he he's looking uh, more along the lines of freedom and security. And I'll get into more about that when when he finishes here. Because I have something to say about developer mode. I'm not that crazy about it. But, you know, you're welcome to do what you want.
2: It's some very involved, convoluted process that I am not interested in attempting right now. Pro- probably ever. Um, it, I'll just live with the beeps. But, boy, would those beeps be annoying. I could see. Like, if you were trying to get some late night computing done or something and someone was asleep in the same room like that would be that would keep you from turning your computer on it's just it's that loud you know the the loud beep that i'm talking about the the motherboard beep so there is that but once you have developer mode turned on you're free to pretty much do whatever you want and it's pretty amazing so first of all the the most obvious benefit of developer mode is that you can now ignore play store google play store And use F-Droid. So if you are used to F-Droid, I think it's, what, F-Droid.org or something like that. Um, If if you've ever used... Yeah, F-Droid.org. If you've ever used F-Droid on an Android phone or tablet, then you'll be familiar with it. It is a... It's it's like a Google Play Store or a Linux software repository before Play Stores existed. Um, And it has applications on it that are open source now, there are a couple of exceptions there that you have to look out for so some applications are you know it's an open source client but the service that it's sort of tapping into isn't open but FDroid is really good about identifying those for you if you're if you're about to install something that that's uh, that they say sometimes encourages open source or, or, or not, uh, encourages uh you know closed proprietary technology or something like that then then it, it warns you. So you know very much what you're getting into pretty early on. And, um, it's really nice. fdroid.org. You should check it out for your device, your Android device. And then if you get a Chromebook or if you have one, turn developer mode on. And now you can install stuff from fdroid. So that is huge. That's, um, that's that's a whole other set of applications that you now have to in, to add to your computing environment. And the F-Droid applications or the Android applications, whether you get them from F-Droid or, or Google Play, they work really, really well. There is a, a, yet another caveat, and that is the file system thing again. So Android applications, of course, imagine a certain structure of, of, of for its file system. And so you have to kind of get used to speaking now in three different senses of your file system. There's the Chrome OS, which is the really stupid simple one, which is like, yeah, dump it onto my computer. And and then it just shows up in your file manager. Big bucket model. Then there's the Linux version, which is, yeah, put it in my Linux drive here in slash home slash 2 and then good luck finding that from somewhere else. Well, actually, it's not that hard because it's got Linux files right here, so it, it points you to your Linux home in your file manager. The, the trickier one, though, oh, and of course, there's possibly the SD card. So the SD card shows up in your file manager if, if you have an, ex, a, a, an external, you know, a card reader, a SD card slot, whatever. I put that in, shows up in my file manager, and it also shows up as slash mnt slash, Chrome OS slash uh, I think the name of the of the SD card in in Linux. Android applications sort of throw all of that out. And it, it, I think in the Android application mind, there is, um, the storage, and then there's the, I think they call it the emulated storage. And you have to kind of figure out, well, what is that on my computer? And it can be tough to figure out sometimes. And, <coughs> and it, they, they, they're pretty consistent. They really do insist that that's the truth. Like, the, this is the file system. And even if you're, if you know that's not the file system, that's not what my file system looks like, to that Android application, that is exactly what your file system looks like, and you get to save things in certain places, and then you get to go look for them later because uh, it's really hard to navigate file systems that don't actually exist after you've just saved it into a file system that something exists insists exists. So that's there's a little bit of an oddity there again and again.
1: And I'm not sure what he's getting into there, but... The base file system for Chromebook os is butter the btrF btr file system butter file system and you'll see that when you do a df capital th in your linux environment you'll see that it'll mention that it's running on a butter file system as well <clears throat> So um I'm not quite sure what he's referring to there at all i'm I'll have to i would have to go to development mode to to take a look at it, and I'm not going to do that i have been there, done that, and I've chosen not to pursue that because um no matter how nice the F droid collection is, it seemed to me when I was running it, you could find every one of those things up on the Play Store anyway.
2: I, I just kind of do. Unfortunately, I wonder what a quote unquote normal user, everyday user, what they would what they would make of that. Like it, it's got to be great that you can install these Android apps, but I, I, at least the stuff that that is geared toward productivity, I just don't see. Like, why, you know, when you reco- when you do a voice recording on Simple Voice Recorder, why does it end up in a place called slash emulated storage slash Simple Voice Recorder slash date dot four M- a or mp three or whatever it records, in, uh, and and not just in my files? Like, how, and how do you get back there when you need it? So, yeah, there's there's some there's some Oddity with these these other systems that you can kind of keep layering onto Chrome OS, but by my reckoning, it's definitely, definitely worth it because Chrome OS is pretty bare bones. So these extra features, well, they're huge. I mean, they make the, the computer worth the money, really. So check that out. You can only get, again, F-Droid only in developer mode. That will not work outside of developer mode. You have to have a developer mode turned on because otherwise it it wants to it insists upon seeing the Google Play uh uh, certificate or signature, di- di- digital signature. So that's, that's developer mode. And like I say, side effect is that you get to hear two loud beeps every time you turn on your computer, or at least you do on my device. I don't know. I- I've read elsewhere that it is on other devices as well. So um, just be aware of that. All right. So, and then finally, 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 the, the, the last one, and this is the, the big one. You could also just get rid of the OS entirely, or, or rather you can swap it out for something a little bit more open source. So it turns out, and this is, again, probably not all that surprising to many of you because y- maybe you've done like five seconds of research, which was more than I did before purchasing the thing. Um, but boy, was this a relief when I found out that it was correct because I suspected it. I just didn't, I didn't bother confirming because I knew that if I found out that it was not possible that I would not, then I would not purchase the device and I wanted to learn the stupid Chrome OS thing. And now I, I know it and I'd never have to look at it again. So it turns out that Chrome OS is based on open source. Uh, uh, an open source project called chromium os so you know chromium Uh, it's the open source version or the the open source foundation of chrome the, the browser chromium is is what chrome is based on so it is it is like fedora is to red hat or it is like maybe you could say debian is to ubuntu something like that um All of that seems a bit too harsh but but chromium is the open source version of of chrome it's it's the open source stuff and then google takes chromium puts their own logo onto it and puts their own google stuff into it and that becomes chrome so just like that there is chromium os there's this there's this project that is alive and maintained and developed and it exists chrome takes it or google rather takes it puts their logo on it, puts their, their stuff, their apps into it and, and all of their requirements and they ship it as Chrome OS. So you can flash your device, your Chromebook with Chromium OS. And it is something that you might have to fiddle around with a little bit, but I have done it. So you can go to, uh, chromium.googlesource.com and there's documentation, Chromium OS docs. And, uh,
1: And they'll tell you also that if you use, uh, and I think Chromium OS also supports Play Store apps. But if you end up using them, you might be in violation of Google's Terms of Service. This is a warning. And they might terminate your account, lock you out of Google. So if you're using uh, Google as your main service, that might not be a good idea. Just as a warning, you know, if you're not that tied to Google, then uh, maybe uh, you can, but watch out using any of the Android apps.
2: They they explain the process for developers how to build Chromium OS, how to flash it onto your computer, and so on. So if you're already in developer mode, you're sort of halfway there already. You don't really need to do a whole lot more, really. You you need the you need to build. Chromium OS into an image and burn that to, or, you know, DD that onto a USB device. But in terms of prepping the computer, as long as you're in developer mode, you, you pretty much have everything enabled that you need enabled. There are, there are lots of different variables because there are different architectures, the computer that it builds for, the computers that it builds for are, there are a lot of board specific options and so on. So it can be, it can be a little daunting just to kind of figure out what you're dealing with, and then you don't really know what you what, what you what you're in for the first time you do it because you're in developer mode now. You can access a, a little known, a very secret console that is available with a Control Alt F2, and there aren't any F keys strictly speaking on a Chromebook, but there are keys along the top of the keyboard with icons on them. And so if you just count over, there's Escape, and then there's F functionally there's F1, two, 3, 4, and so on. Control Alt F2 takes you to a console, just like on a Linux computer, and you can log in with the username Chronos. And uh, this is not recognizing that I have a Dvorak keyboard because when you switch over to this terminal, they, it doesn't recognize that. But you log in with this name Kronos, Kronos, Chronos, Chronos, C H R O N O S, Chronos, and no password required. You just log in. You can set a password. There's a, a command for that. Chrome, Chromeos dash set dev Pass wd. I have not done that yet because um, this has just been installed, the, the new Chromium OS. Uh, this is a fresh image. Um, and, and if you set a password, it gets erased later on, you know, when you're reinstalling. So for now, just know that you can install, You can log in, no password, Chronos And you set the device to be bootable over USB, which typically is not set to be active. And the way that you do that is you find the command. It is um, cross system cross system c r o s s y s t e m cross system and what that does is if you do it with sudo at least i don't know what happens if you don't do it with sudo probably doesn't show you anything but um sudo cross system and you might pipe it to less or something you do that and it shows you all of the active it's really sort of like sysctl um in fact i wonder if is is that even do they have sysctl no they don't okay that's probably why so yeah it's very very much like sysctl on on another system and so has all of the, the these environment variables, and one of the important variable, uh, one of the, the well, the this, significant this one that we're looking at right now is one called dev underscore boot underscore usb, and it is set by default to zero. So if you set that to one with a sudo cross system dev underscore boot underscore USB equals one, then now your developer mode is happy to, to boot from USB. It might take a moment to sort of, to update that variable, so, so be patient. And then once you're ready, you can reboot your computer and hold down when, you know, you reboot or you power down. Let's do it that way. Power down. Insert your USB drive into your USB port. Start your computer and hold control U as you're booting. And that just switches over to the USB drive. And as long as you've flashed that image correctly onto that USB drive, you're now booting off the USB drive you'll know that you're booting off the usb drive because it instead of chrome on the on the splash screen it says chromium and it uses the chromium logo instead of the chrome logo once you've booted to the usb drive you can switch over to your virtual console again control, alt, f2, and then issue the command to install the, from the image, uh, install that image onto your hard drive. And that threw me for a, a loop here and there because, so it's, it's slash usr slash sbin slash chrome os dash install is the, is the command. That's, pretty straightforward, but it, it threw me off because it was asking for a destination. And I hadn't thought about that because all the in, the, all the documentation on Chromium OS had just sort of indicated that it would know that the, the only part of that command was user bin Chrome OS dash install. So it took me a moment to kind of figure out what that destination ought to be and it ended up being a slash dev slash mmc bl- uh, Blk zero which was the internal SD card of of the Chromebook that I have now whether this is true for all Chromebooks I have no idea but it kind of harkens back to the triple EPC yet again where it was it was literally an internal SD card and uh, if i th- I think it was I think it was like literally an internal SD card because I think I added another one I think I got one that you could add another sd card to or something like that i don't know um but yeah so it's it's like this slash dev slash mmc and of course at first i thought well that's talking about my micro sd card that i added for extra storage uh surely surely that's not where i want to install it to but yeah actually that is where i wanted to install it to. so after a couple of false starts i finally figured out where the the proper destination ought to be to set the dash dash DST for destination to slash dev slash uh, MMC BLK zero and let it let it install. Now, to be fair, before I did that, I didn't I didn't understand what I was doing. And so I, I logged into my into the USB the live system, which is kind of weird will let you do that. It'll let you set up your sort of your system, which I think once you install, it just goes away anyway, because then once I rebooted, I had to go through that step. A th- now, what, a third time, right? Once for Chrome OS, once for the live USB, and then once for the actual rebooted correct image. So that was a little bit weird, um, but but fine. I mean, it's not a problem. Just know that once you boot off of the USB, you are able to switch over to a virtual console and and get the thing installed. There is no graphical installer. You're not going to log in and then find a, installed a hard drive icon somewhere. That's not how this works. You're just going to go to your virtual console, do your slash user, slash sbin, slash Chrome OS dash install, dash dash dst, and set your destination. Wait for it to finish, and once it's finished, you can reboot. And rebooting was fun, too. I couldn't find the, the reboot command to save my life. There's no telnet in this console. There's no, I think there was no reboot command. Uh, I ended up just doing a, uh, a, a, a slash sbin slash power off, I think, is what it was. Let me, let me look really quick. sbin power off. Yeah, that's what it was. So anyway, um, you, you can do that and then you start your computer back up again and w- remove your USB drive, start your computer, and then you're you're booting into Chromium OS. You still have to suffer through those two loud motherboard beeps, but you're booting into Chromium OS, and now you're living in developer mode. All you know is developer mode, and wow, what a great experience that is because now you're not using any of the Google proprietary stuff. You're coasting off of a open-source operating system on um a relatively affordable computer with some really powerful tools at your disposal. Is it... Is it, is it worth doing this over just getting a laptop and putting Linux onto it? No, no, it's not. It really isn't. This isn't, there's no added benefit here that I can tell to, to just having a Linux computer. And, and frankly, the way that this implements its Linux awareness is a, is kind of weird and, and a little bit crippling if what you're going to do with this is, I don't know, video editing or audio recording or s- things like that. Actually, maybe video editing would be okay. I'm not sure because, um, I mean, unless you, Need to input sound, uh, but anyway, the point point is, yeah, the the Linux side of this is is a little bit a little bit wonky, and the Android side of it is a little bit wonky, although less because it does integrate with the rest of the system. But if you're looking for for whatever reason, a, an affordable computer that that can you know that that sort of has a a fallback mode for, I don't know, stuff that people expect out there in the world. Like if you're going to a school or something, and they say that a Chromebook is an acceptable bring-your-own-device device, device, well, you can do that now, but you can have a bunch of other things tacked onto it that, that gives you a lot more freedom than I think most people would expect to have with a, a Chromebook. So my overall impressions of a Chromebook are actually surprisingly quite good, but that is bearing.
1: you know, I'd be curious to find out what his extra freedoms were, but I bet you we could match them. Most of them anyway. Um, but I tried the same thing on the Acer a year ago in September, the month after I bought it. I started listening to Mintcast. And uh, actually, I think I bought this thing two years ago, come to think about it, because it was the, the other fellow was doing Mintcast at the time, and they were talking about converting a Chromebook over to run Linux Mint. And I had performed that procedure, and everything was running fine. But then I got to missing all of the Google features, you know, from Chrome OS that, that I enjoyed. And, um, at that time, you know, a couple years ago, Chromebook OS really was lacking enough stuff that you'd want to install Linux Mint or something else. Um, you know, you just felt raped. You know, you got a, a bunch of new toys and features to play with, but you missed some of the stuff you used day-to-day on your normal Linux laptop that I, I felt I needed. <clears throat> and so I was torn between the two environments and ended up just putting the Chrome OS back on the Chromebook and leaving it that way. And I'm glad I did because... and. Actually, I think it has been two years. It was probably August of 2018 when I bought that Acer. Because it's only got four more years left on its contract, according to Google. You can look that up on on how many more years your Chromebook will be supported. And uh, mine, that Acer expires in 2024, I believe. Whereas this Pixelbook expires in 2026. So I I can keep this and keep using it to 2026. So when when my Chromebook finally expires, <clears throat> the question is, will I put Chromium OS on there or something else? Or will I just get rid of this and buy modern hardware six years from now and continue running Chrome OS? <clears throat> and I think the answer to that is I'd probably just buy another laptop. Because when you run Chrome OS... Things like your Linux container, they're all encrypted. So if your laptop is ever seized by somebody in an airport or stolen or whatnot, they can't decrypt it without the password. And I don't know that Chromium OS does that for you Um, out of the box. I don't know anything about it. Um, I know that you're probably not going to get access to certain Google features But if you don't care about that, that would be okay. I think the security would be lagging on it compared to what Google does with Chrome OS on a a normal Chromebook. I would kind of worry about that. And then, of course, um, as technological advancements happen, they're likely to become available a year or two before on a Chromebook. Than they will for you running Chromium OS on an on, you know an older laptop. The the final comment I'd like to make is that um, if there's anybody that's going to port Chromebooks to the new M1 processor or or any variant thereof that Google might come up with, you know, an ARM processor. And this has been another sideline I've talked about previously on Hacker Public Radio on what we should do to get away from Intel. Obviously I've bought another Intel chip here because I'm running an i7 on this Chromebook. And the Acer Chromebook is a Pentium uh, chipset, by the way, with 4 gigs of memory. And believe it or not, I can't tell the difference in performance between the two systems um, when I'm running it in the normal way you would run a Chromebook. Where I can tell a difference is when I start running QMU and playing with Faguta or some other operating system and the Linux beta, then I really notice a difference between this more modern Pixelbook Go that I have with the i7 processor and the Acer with the Pentium. The Acer with the Pentium just gets outrun. You know, it's it can't keep up with that sort of stuff. And uh I won't be able to do um the kind of video work that I'm doing right now and making an a audio podcast at the same time either. I mean, it just doesn't have the horsepower for it. But if there's anybody that's going to take Linux to a an ARM M1 light processor or whatever Google might pick in the future, six years from now for my replacement Chromebook, Google will do it. They have the resources to do it. And uh, hopefully Chromium, since they they use that as their base they will you know be allowed to port over to it too it's just that i'm kind of worried that probably a lot of the video drivers and stuff that they'll come up with under an arm architecture which are normally built into your amd or intel platforms now you know the the 3g accelerated graphics might be proprietary of some kind And uh, they might have some trouble worming their way around that. I I know you've all heard about the new Apple M1s coming out, so... That'll be the next target for Google and probably um, Windows as well, you expect. And then Linux will just fall in behind it however it can. And, you know, if there's going to be a port to Linux to get us on the M1 it's going to come through Google and probably this Chromebook and Chromium OS. And that's what I have to say about that. So... Again, I'm going to stay with Chrome OS on a normal Pixelbook because <clears throat> I'll get the most advanced features first, I have better security, and I don't think that there's anything that you could do on Chromium with F-Droid that I can't already somehow do on this Pixelbook. And it might be interesting to have a contest to see, you know, who can do what, but I um, I suspect that I can do that much, if not more. It just takes a little thought, learning a new platform and learning what you can do. Let's finish this up.
2: Bring in mind that there, it does take work to get to that point. There, it's not, it isn't good off the shelf. My, my impression of it off the shelf is it it is professionally implemented. It looks like a computer that people can use, and apparently people use it. Why, I don't know but with a, a, just a few extra options here and there, I can see how it is a useful device. And, and frankly, it's a, it's, it has been a useful device to me now for a good two weeks after after i replaced chrome os with with chromium os in other words um w- with with all the linux stuff and and all the android applications from f droid it, it really is it, it is a completely useful system there are days where i use the chromebook the chromium book exclusively like that's that's the entire computing experience not days like this where i'm recording a podcast and i'm doing that on slackware because this chromium this yeah chromium os doesn't have the right tools for that so
1: and mine does. It's available. So I'm making a podcast for Hacker Public Radio and recording a video, which I'm going to post to Library and BitShoot when it, when I'm done with it. And I'm going to be able to render my video in the cloud, which, um, you know, if I've done a lot of videos in the last 20 years, and um, typically it'll take me a couple hours to render a video maybe longer three hours sometimes if it's a long video i'll tell you the cloud resources that they have with the google chromebook i can render a two-hour video in like 10 minutes i mean it's just nothing the brute force machinery that they have sitting out there in the cloud it's it's between the display and everything else it's it's like i am introduced to a whole new generation of laptops you know that um, the, the world has opened up once again for me. And I take this thing even shopping with me. I go grocery shopping, and I'll put my phone in my pocket and turn the Wi-Fi on, and I'll use my Chromebook to help me shop and look at prices while I buy groceries. I, I literally am. I'm walking down the aisle with a cart and a Chromebook in the child seat asking Google about things. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing. In fact, if they could just make this Chromebook do a cell call, I'd probably get rid of my Android phone because my Android phone, compared to my Google Chromebook, sucks. You know, have the GPS built into it and everything to where I could make phone calls through, say, a Bluetooth headset. I wouldn't even have a damn um, Android phone. Wouldn't even use it at all. And that's the reason they moved some of the Android apps over to google chrome because you know chrome is their mainstay this is the mainstay for google which is again and i'll reiterate this one more time it surprises me that they didn't put a gps in this unit it really did it kind of angered me too uh but it surprises me there's not much you can read about when you buy one but also um a complete cell phone option where we can get our internet data and also make phone calls from it that would be great you know in a future chromebook i guess since uh, I don't see that it's possible. In fact, it seems to me I can get my chat messages, my text messages from my phone on my Chromebook. I can do that right now. Uh they've already got integration between the Nexus 9 that I have and the Chromebook so that I can use I can text. And uh the Chromebook communicates with some server out there that it has authorization to use my phone number to send and receive text messages and pictures and things. So they're just a hop, skip, and a jump away from being able to make a phone book, uh, make a phone call from the Chromebook. Of course, we already have Zoom, you know, and we already have the Google video chat thing and YouTube and everything else already. So, I mean, all of that works right now on the Chromebook. I mean, you could use that if you wanted to get away from it, Skype, what have you, okay?
2: Yes, there are huge exceptions, there are caveats, but I could definitely see getting by on a chromium book for an extended amount of time, like really, especially if, if what you do works, you know, if, if, if you're a developer or if you are working primarily in a web browser and just dip out now and again for that, for the a really good IDE that you love or whatever, that's completely functional. That is exactly, that is the sweet spot for this thing. If I ever go to a technical conference again and see a person with a Mac, I think I will just tell them politely that they should not ever get a Mac again and get a Chromebook. Because, I mean, the the price difference is enormous and the functionality, frankly, is superior. It-
1: and, you know, I'm glad he said that because he knows a hell of a lot more about Macintosh and Apple products than I ever will. I've never used one. Uh, I've sat in front of a Macintosh back in the late 80s, my aunts, and played with it for a while. And um, I've seen kids using um macbook airs i guess and they're blindingly fast you know the graphics on those things are fast but this google pixel pro go thing is just as fast it is it's uh, it's breathtaking and the color and the resolution of the screen is just breathtaking it is it's it's almost as if I'm in Colorado or Wyoming, wherever this picture was taken, going down a highway in my pickup truck. If I'm as if I were there, um, and of course everything is just lightning fast in um, in a Chromebook world. Um, and I'm going to have to start learning to get more integrated with the cloud uh, as far as Google Drive goes and figure out what I'm going to do with it. Right now, all I'm doing is video rendering and working with audio. But, you know, eventually storing a few files on there probably wouldn't hurt me a bit. Um, and maybe backing them up to the OpenBSD server. But I don't think I personally could ever get away with not having OpenBSD in my life in a server. You know, I wouldn't trust it. And that's where I currently store, you know, 99.99999% of my stuff is on that server. So if I want to play a movie or something using VLC, I can just use SSH Fuse file system, bring up my server's volume, and play that movie, play that audio file. Uh, Use LibreOffice to edit a document that, you know, or a spreadsheet that I'm maintaining out there, you know, for uh, some of my other activities. And do what I need to do. And and is right. You can just about buy anything you want to run on the Chromebook, including even if you're into Microsoft Office, you know, Office products. So, and, uh, you know, what, what they do in the business world for Microsoft, Microsoft Office. And, you know, I've used Excel and all that in the past. I'm not a huge fan of it, but yeah, you can buy into that and, and uh, basically use Microsoft Office, I believe, anywhere now, not just a Chromebook. So, yeah, everything is coming together. It's uh, the singularity, I think they call it, right? That's what the young people call it, singularity. What I call boomerality, maybe. Did I make a joke?
2: integration with Linux is not perfect but it sure is a lot better than the integration between x quartz and Mac os or cocoa whatever this is this is something this is a thing that you could get it's also a thing that you don't have to get i mean it's it is by no means a requirement and there' like I say the added value to Linux here is minimal and really once again what this is a demonstration of is how a crippled system can be opened up with open source luckily at least with the right Chromebook and I, I obviously uh, this is based on exactly one, but with the right Chromebook with the right options turned on you can replace the entire thing and have an open source computer with a, a really interesting model of, of operation uh, that can carry you through days and days and days of computing and the battery life frankly is really amazing on this thing, at least so far. I know that will fade over time, but yeah, it is it is pretty nice. It takes a while to get there but you can get there. It's kind of fun getting there. Hacking around proprietary systems is deceptively sort of satisfying. You feel like
1: Certainly, I mean the battery life on this Google Pixelbook Crow, uh, Go, excuse me, is so good that I can charge it up overnight and I can walk around with this thing folded up all day long and still have battery to go well into the evening when I get home. I mean it. It's the only laptop I've ever had that's this battery efficient and powerful. It's it's so amazing. And of course, my phone will run the Wi Fi and charge for a full day. I can just put it in my pocket or shirt pocket or pants pocket and carry it right along with it. And I've got internet access and everything I need anywhere I go, anywhere.
2: you've done a really amazing thing when you finally loaded all your open source applications on a proprietary system. But it's even better to just get rid of the proprietary system entirely. And with Chromium OS, that's exactly what you can do. That's it. I think that's everything I have to say about Chromebooks, probably. Maybe in the future I'll try to record an episode on this thing to see if it works, but I'm not going to promise it because I do edit a lot as I go. And without audacity, that's a very, that's a tough call. Don't go rush out and get one thinking that I'm advertising that Chromebooks are amazing. I'm advertising that The Chromium OS is a really important project, something that can replace a crippled proprietary product and make it really, really useful. But to Chrome OS's credit, the integration of Android and Linux applications is a big deal. I'm really, I'm glad that they've done that. I think that they could, I hope they go farther with it, and I hope that they really embrace this open source foundation that they're basing their stuff on because it. That's the part that makes this fun. That's what makes this cool and useful. And I hope that they recognize that because honestly, if there's a person in your life who is sort of stuck with a Chromebook, these are the tools and tricks that can transform them from a passive computer consumer to a productive and active and an invested open source computer user. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.
1: Well, I'm going to go ahead and cut it off there and, uh... There is a difference in the mentality between squirrels that live in a magical forest and aliens like 2 that do intergalactic travel and stuff in that <clears throat> A, um, they prefer um, open source projects over ones that are closed or entrapped. And B, they prefer to write their dra- their data on thumb drives and stuff like that instead of really use the cloud. Even though he did mention that you know, next cloud would be an option for him. It's probably hard to get internet access while you're cruising across the galaxy. But I, I think that's the difference between squirrels and aliens is that we're more cloud oriented. It's just that we're a little more selective on what kind of cloud I'm going to use and uh, and for what. And uh, obviously, more cloud options are better, I suppose. But um, I'd have to agree totally with this young man's comment about how much better this is over a MacBook, even though I've not owned a MacBook Air or even touched one. I know pound for pound it's lighter. It's got a better screen display. It's faster. And it certainly has a lot more cloud options, I think, that you would than you would find, you know, a lot more capabilities than you would find... Um, in in the MacBook, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will chew me out over that uh, as far as capabilities goes. But I would certainly pick the the Chromebook over a Windows system any day. You know, um, and there are a variety of Windows systems that are that are coming out as well that are I'm seeing in doctors' offices right now. You know, the 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 new Windows mobile platforms. Alright, let's conclude this video with a final message from Google. Okay, Google. Fart.
0: You can blame me if you want. I don't mind.
1: Well, you didn't fart for me. Okay, Google.
0: Fart. It was me. I farted. It definitely wasn't someone else in the room.
1: Oh, you won't do it for me. All right, well, we'll conclude the, the podcast then because Google's not cooperating. Maybe 2 is right. Maybe we should, if we all ran that other operating system, Chromium, then we could get our farts more reliably and start our podcasts from OK Google. For Christ's sakes, where's the button to turn this off? And to the Hacker Public Radio community, thanks for listening. And yes, you can record a Hacker Public Radio broadcast on a Chromebook.
0: You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at HackerPublicRadio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself.